Hi, I'm Kyle. And I'm Trevor, and welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. If you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein we introduce each other to films, expand our cinematic horizons, and in essence, catch up on our cinema. So it is the month of March 2021, and we are nearing the finale of our March of the Monsters event month. Uh, basically, we've been doing this in anticipation, or at least I've been doing this in anticipation of uh, HBO Max's and uh, Warner Brothers' Godzilla vs. Kong, which may as well be the biggest movie of maybe my lifetime, certainly this year. Uh, so in anticipation of that, uh, we've been doing weekly reviews of some of the earlier films uh, in the filmographies of the respective stars of that film. So that would be both Godzilla and King Kong. Uh, so we've gone from the beginning of the timeline, uh, that would be 1933 and 1954, and we went even through the 70s uh, for the remake of King Kong, uh, the first time they ever did that. Uh, and now it's time for something completely different. <laughs> so uh, we jumped way ahead in the timeline now, and it's Godzilla's at bat. So uh, this time around, we are reviewing Hideaki Anno's uh, 2016 Shin Gojira, uh, which I, I think I've said it on pretty much every episode we've done this month, uh, pretty much swept the Japanese Academy Awards the year it came out. So it's kind of a big deal, even outside of the Godzilla fandom. But um, Kyle, I, you basically picked this one. I mean, I, I had some other films penciled in as a potential candidates uh, for the Godzilla movie we'd be covering here towards the end of the month. But uh, why is it you wanted to watch this one? Well, I actually follow a few different uh, movie subreddits. It's the only form of social media I allow myself to just kind of scroll through there. And this came up on a couple of different movie threads, uh, Shin Godzilla being uh, one of the better contemporary Godzilla movies. And I really like the 2000... You and I both really like the 2014 one. Well, I do. Sorry, I'm not sure. No, we both do. Okay, we both do. making sure. Uh, we both really like the 2014. I like the King of the Monsters. That was a lot of fun. So I'm like 2016. I'm like that would I'm okay. Let's see what was happening in Japan. Like let, let's see how they do Godzilla. You know, you know, you know. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I, I, w I wanted to check it out. And you had also said that this is a really good Godzilla movie. So I'm like, all right, well let's do that. Because I what was the what was the movie that we were gonna do instead? Do you remember what what the? Well, actually, I mean, this is maybe hopefully potentially interesting for the listeners at home uh so initially i uh i think i penciled this month in as like monstrous canon month and the idea was i wanted to cover uh, a pair of king kong movies and a pair of godzilla movies that um somewhat rare in both of those franchises uh have a direct connection to each other as in they ha there's like a an embedded canon uh so with godzilla in a lot of cases, especially in like the Showa era, uh, there's no real continuity. It's just like the first Godzilla movie happened, and then all the ones that happened in between, you can just hand wave those away. It never happened. Uh, so it's usually just the first movie exists, and that's it. Um, so initially it was like um, King Kong 1976 and King Kong Lives, which are both Dino De Laurentiis and John Gillerman productions, uh, and they do c directly connect to each other. Um, and then for Godzilla, I was going to do Godzilla 1984 and Godzilla vs. Biollante, which, again, bleed directly into each other. Um, and that is a Godzilla movie I'd still like you to see, but um, when you said you wanted to watch this one, I actually got pretty excited, because I was like, you know, 
that is a very different Godzilla movie. Um, it's a much more contemporary one, and it's also somewhat challenging, which cannot really be said for most, you know, giant monster <laughs> movies, honestly. I can see why this swept the uh, the Japanese Oscars or the Academy Awards, uh, because if you if you take the Godzilla element out of this and put any kind of like disaster, this is an awesome movie. Like just the way that we're trying to solve the problem. That's what this movie is. This is a problem solving film. Yeah, uh, I my uh, alternate title is Logistics the Movie. Yeah. Um, this movie basically demonstrates the power of fax machines and phones mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, fucking science and laptops and uh, working long hours, like sleeping at the office. Um, yeah, uh, you're absolutely right, though. Um, you easily could substitute the giant monster in this film for just a strictly natural disaster. And uh, I may as well give a little bit of background to the production because uh, I think there's a lot of story there and actually the the timing of our recording of this is kind of perfect honestly uh so i a lot of the imagery and the early goings of this movie and uh some of the way the scenario play out um it's no surprise at all that the imagery in particular is lifted directly from the the tohoku earthquake um the fukushima uh nuclear reactor uh meltdowns i I think it was plural actually that was in 2011 um this film came out in 2016 so you know not too far off uh there were tens of thousands of people evacuated from that area Uh, as far as i understand the radiation levels in certain parts of that area is safe to live in but obviously people are not exactly thrilled about the idea of returning to the site uh so you know it has had some like uh connections to chernobyl i guess certainly not that bad in terms of like natural disaster and whatnot um but it was a horrible one-two punch uh to japan whereas i think the largest earthquake the country suffered since the 20s um it was i think it was like a 9.0 or something it was incredible um and the the breakers they had in that region were i think like six feet high or something but the waves were like 18 feet high Mm. uh and the tsunami that followed was far greater than anybody could have anticipated Uh, so all the imagery of of godzilla making initial landfall in this film like of the boats in the streets and like all the cars piling up and stuff and like water flooding the streets almost directly inspired by actual footage from that incident uh so with with that horrible you know natural disaster still fresh in the public consciousness it was kind of a perfect opportunity to you know make reference to it via a film uh, with a monster otherwise but um, also the timing um, Godzilla had been in hibernation at Toho Studios uh, since 2004 um, there had not been a Japanese Godzilla film since 2004 so that's 12 years that's a pretty big fucking gap and actually the American Godzilla the success of the 2014 American Godzilla movie was again a reason to to take on this project at that time where it's like oh shit that, back. that movie did well yeah godzilla's back people care again um and really the reason they stopped making them when they did at toho was uh, it was all just money where people people just weren't coming to the theaters anymore mm-hmm. and the last one was ex- expensive by by japanese standards so it was kind of a, it was kind of a flop it was godzilla final wars uh, <laughs> funny enough directed by yuhei kitamura uh, that director that I reference often. We did we reviewed one of his films, Versus. Oh, yeah. Um, 
yeah uh so that was like that was like a huge moment for me personally because <laughs> i was heavily invested in him as a director and he was you know working on my favorite franchise and then it turned out to be not great <laughs> and then godzilla went to sleep for 12 years <laughs> i think i've asked you about godzilla 2000 is that one any is that worth anything it's all right it's okay it's not it's not exceptional by any means uh the special effects i think would probably piss you off to oh, be, I'm, i see it to be I'm quite the, honest yeah, yeah the, some of the compositing work they chose to do instead of miniatures um was the wrong choice <laughs> it's like i'm sorry i'm sorry uh, japanese film studios uh in in the year 2000 in 1999 you guys were not ready for that that's, that's very cool that you tried but mm-mm. like over here didn't look so hot um, although i did see that movie in the theaters Ooh. Uh, just because i could uh because you know i i at that point in my life i'd only seen the american godzilla the 1998 one in theaters i did too yeah i've told the story before on the podcast one of the only times my own mother ever apologized to me on my birthday Uh, walking out of the theater (laughs) bicentennial man my mom was even mad like she she's like i'm sorry like that sucked and we're all like yeah that was not good (laughs) she's like it was like three hours long yeah no it that is not a crowd-pleasing film i mean what oliver platt's okay in it um, I, I did like the bit where Robin Williams told him he has a big head and he, <laughs> and he took offense to that. Yeah. yeah, that was great because somebody needed to say it. You know, it, it's it's kind of the emperor's new clothes or whatever. It's ah. like, dude, you are naked. Your head is enormous and it's, you need to be aware of that. This should, this should uh, put things in perspective. Uh, so my mom apologized for the movie being stupid and it being too long. That movie is only two hours and 12 minutes. Holy shit. We were complaining about a movie being two hours and 12 minutes. That being too long in 1999. Yeah, um, you haven't seen the Snyder Cut, Mom. <laughs> no, you you guys wouldn't subject her to that. But uh, she would have to apologize to you, though, if she took you to see that. Um, not that there's anything wrong with the Snyder Cut, by the way. I I did watch that, and I thought it was all right. Uh, I it is a marked improvement over the original. But we're not here to review that. No, we're not. Everybody we're not doing that for this. Ev- go to any other podcast about movies. They're doing it. Yeah, I'm actually really glad that I just bit the bullet and watched it because now I don't have to listen to any of those podcasts. It's like I already have a review in my head, <laughs> <laughs> so I can skip all of that horse shit. But um, anyway, yeah, Shin Gojira. Uh, this project is directed by Hideaki Anno uh, and also co-directed by Shinji Higuchi. Uh, so those two, uh, funny enough, similar similar to how we had things set up with. Uh, the earlier Godzilla films, how we had like the, I don't know, the powerhouse team of, you know, the, we have this specific producer, we have a specific composer, we have a specific director, etc., etc. These two are quite the one-two punch. Um, so Anno uh, is the man behind uh, Neon Genesis Evangelion, um, which I know you have heard the name at least once. Uh, you probably don't know what it is. Um, you've certainly seen images from it. I've told, I think I talked at you at the office when we used to work together <laughs> and you made a face that I couldn't tell if you were intrigued or you're just like, I think Trevor's having a stroke. <laughs> it was like, I think you interrupted me at one point and you asked if I smelled toast, <laughs> but I was drinking um, a lot more than this is true. This is very true. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a, it's a phenomenal series, uh, but you really, you really got to follow it for what it is. Um, it is not for everybody. 
Um, I think it's I think it's not like I guess I'd call it a work of art, like maybe a masterpiece of sorts. Uh, it does have many imperfections to it, uh, but it's so specific and intentional in in being what it is uh, that I have to I have to give it praise for that. And a lot of that has to do with this fella, uh, Hideaki Anno, uh, because he he's very reactionary um, with his with his writing. Like uh, Evangelion, apparently the original uh, run of the anime, he was uh, going through some severe depression, uh, and it manifested in his work um, in some ways that upset the fan base quite a bit. Um, and then there was a gap between the production of the anime and the film uh, that would basically wrap up the series for for that decade anyway actually it just concluded again uh only like a month or two ago they just put out their fourth movie but um i guess he was getting death threats or something over some of the stuff in the anime uh and he actually found ways to work that into the movie (laughs) so he kind of flipped the bird to his own audience it was very fascinating (laughs) that's interesting how directors suffering from depression will just use that as an out like writing as an outlet for working with depression so I remember Lars von Trier doing uh, Antichrist. He's like, he wrote it when he was like severely depressed and he had just been hospitalized. And then they ask him like, well, what's it about? And he's like, I don't know. I was depressed. Like, I'm just working through depression. So uh, it's interesting that that fan base was like, fuck you for this, dude. What what is wrong with you? What was so wrong with it? Uh, Evangelion. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, the characterizations, uh, some of the turns that people take in it, um, and actually the the culmination of that story had me thinking before i saw shin gojira that it was going to be an apocalyptic story mm. it it is not um it's but yeah he took that film. uh he took that story the evangelion down some real dark paths and some <laughs> kind of perverse paths too that um if you're again if you're not game to follow along with this guy's train of thought uh, you're going to be utterly baffled and confused. Um, I don't care who you are; you don't, you do not understand that story, um, unless you've like wrote the Wikipedia page for the entire, like, <laughs> not not the Wikipedia, the wiki for the entire series. Unless you handcrafted that yourself, you do not fully understand there's, that story. There's somebody with hair on their neck that understands this. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm picturing John Travolta from Battlefield Earth. Just- it's like it's like a it's like a neck goatee or neck neck handlebar mustache that they have. I have more of a hairy Knowles in mind, but that's just me. Yeah, I I could totally see that. Someone who gets a bigger than a twenty four ounce bottle of soda as a sit down soda. Oh yeah, you know two two three stops at the Seven Eleven to refill that double gulp. <laughs> One... Somebody that makes the graveyard slurpee on the regular. Yeah, the graveyard slurpees. <laughs> You gotta get every le- you gotta pull every lever. You can't just do the one. I have to say, like, there's nothing more depressing being drunk and then going to a Seven Eleven and there's no hot dogs rolling. When you go in there, and there's just <laughs> nothing. You're like, what the fuck? I needed a hot meal or a hot quote unquote meal. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Uh, but yeah. Anyway, long story short, Ano is a an exceedingly like unique creative voice. Um, he has he has a very particular style that ensures that every project he touches is his. Um, nice. So I, I do actually get excited whenever he works on stuff. Cause like I said, that deep dark depression era, he wasn't, he wasn't exactly cranking content out. Um, but funny enough, if I remember right, he got his start um, working at studio Ghibli as mm. an animator. I think he did a, 
he did some stuff for Nausicaa. Um, but I, Studio Gainax, uh, who did uh, Otaku no Video, uh, the anime oh, yeah. we covered that a while one. back, uh, that was that was like his his buddies Strange uh, for film. a very long time. Um, but yeah, Shinji Higuchi, uh, the co-director, uh, is kind of like the if there's like a CGI heavy like grand spectacle Japanese movie, uh, oftentimes like anime affiliated, uh, he's kind of the go-to guy but uh, he was special effects director on all of the 90s Gamera movies uh, so when it comes to miniatures and cgi and stuff he's he is he is an ace uh, at least the, in japanese cinema the cgi in this movie i've got a little bit of love and hate for it like we'll get into it as we move along but yeah cgi <laughs> okay well i think i covered more than enough background so kyle as is customary would you like to attempt to give us a plot rundown for Shin Gojira? Uh, yes, some kind of aquatic creature makes its way into Japan, and the Japanese government, uh, with the help of the American and French government, or at least the American government, in some capacity, uh, have to figure out a way to stop this creature before it decimates the island of Japan in its entirety. Yeah, uh, that, that's pretty accurate uh, very succinct too um one thing that's really important to note about the presentation of this film is uh if uh, if kyle and i don't exactly cover this movie beat by beat there is a very obvious reason for that and that's yeah. the fact that the beats in this movie are like it's like snap 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 snap, 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 snap. It, it's a mile a minute yeah uh, the length of your average shot and scene is very very short um, and yet it's never confounding like it's it's fairly easy to follow but as Kyle told me before we started recording he started out with a notepad in his lap and that thing went right out yeah. the window nope. like two the, minutes the, in <laughs> it, it, it's too sharp there's too many characters there's too much going on you honestly like it's hard to look at and because I'm mostly reading because because you it's like there's so much going on um but yeah go ahead. yeah it's a it's important to note um I actually have a uh, a poster for this movie actually um hanging in my bedroom area uh and the, <laughs> i'm glad you said area <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's a small apartment there aren't many doors here yeah <laughs> but um the uh the the tagline on the poster i uh, i it hadn't occurred to me until i you know took a piss like before we started recording that i, I just like glanced at um it says a uh, nihon tai gojira uh, so it's Japan versus Godzilla. Ah. And that's so perfect. Yeah. Because that, that is what this movie is. That is, yeah. Yeah, and even up to the very last shot of this movie, that is the thesis for this story, is that this is this is like a natural disaster, like like crisis response film, um, but it has that adversarial feel to it, where it's like, what if you could punch an earthquake? Like, would would you take a swing? It's like, absolutely. Yeah. I'd get all of my friends together, and we would collectively punch the earthquake. Of course. Which is which is the thesis of this movie. Um, I've said this many times on the podcast, mostly this month. Uh, there is a, a Japanese theme, a very intrinsic Japanese theme of communal effort. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and we've seen it in every Godzilla movie we've reviewed this month. Um, they are all about pooling their resources uh, checking their egos at the door and getting shit done. Whether yeah. it be digging a fucking hole or punching a fucking earthquake. <laughs> I do as we move along to the film. I want to see how it would how it would uh, diverge from what uh, the American government would do in this situation. Because, honest to God, we'd be dead. 
Godzilla would wreak havoc because we would not get anything done. Well, I, I mean, it may as well get into it right now. The majority of the characters on screen, and this is literally like a cast of thousands kind of film. Uh, the number of Japanese celebrities, minor and major, uh, is staggering in this film. Even I uh, noticed them. Yeah, if if Kyle is recognizing some yeah. of these faces, that means there are a lot of big fucking faces in this movie. And there are so many of them uh, that the movie constantly reminds you who everyone is based on their job title more so than their name. Um, but the interesting thing about it is that unlike most Godzilla movies where we have more often than not it's scientists and plucky reporters uh, those are usually your Godzilla movie protagonists mm-hmm. um, and then the military guys come in and we get like the general in the in the map room and stuff to do strategy uh, and then maybe we get the prime minister or something but our screen time with them is you know it's occasional this movie's mostly politicians doing all of the dialogue scenes in this movie um, and it's also a department film where it's like it's less about the individual personalities in those rooms. It's more about the departments doing their their functions or whatever. Uh, yeah, I love that the group that uh, I guess he's the closest thing we have to the main character. He's the squeaky wheel. Uh, I'm just going <laughs> to call him squeaky. Uh, he gets this whole team together of various different scientists, biologists, everybody, like all these different people, probably uh, theoretical math, math, uh, mathematicians and stuff like that, and he's just like, "Listen, there's no hierarchy here. Everybody chime in when you want to. We're, we don't do that shit here. Like, we're trying to solve a problem." Which I was uh, first off in an American, <laughs> in an American uh, scenario, I'd be like, "No, no, no. There'd be somebody in charge. Like, we're not having that shit." Like, <laughs> yeah, there'd be some Brian Dennehy looking guy that yes. <laughs> steps in and lays down the law. Exactly. <laughs> oh, he would, he would, ch- he would come in every once in a while. A Brian Dennehy would come in every once in a while and check on everything. Yeah, yeah. See, that's what's fascinating. Like, we'll we'll get into the movie proper um, in just a second. But uh, what what you said about how this movie would play out if this took place in the United States or something. Um, we wouldn't have stopped nuking it. We would have kept going bigger and bigger and bigger <laughs> and bigger until we couldn't go any bigger with the bombs. Yeah, I'm, I'm not entirely sure how that would play out, actually, because I, d- I don't know how our government feels about bombing its own land, because um, there is a thread in this film where part of the reason those bombs get dropped is that they're on the other side of the planet. Yeah. They don't especially care as much about those people than they do their own. Um, and, and also, you know, Japan is a country that has been bombed many a time uh, yeah. in modern history, both nuclear and, you know, conventional explosives. Uh, whereas we're not that kind of country. We don't have that kind of modern history. Uh, so it probably strikes a different chord. But yeah. um, what I was getting at, though, is the, the discourse. Um, I would imagine in an American scenario, in a in the White House or something, you'd have a lot more. You'd have like James Woods or something as the sleazy Ugh. Secretary of oh, Defense, yeah. pushing back on every fucking humanitarian every effort or something. Perfect casting. Yes, that's exactly. Right. <laughs> I, I had that one in the holster. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> but what I'm saying though is that I think there would be a lot more people screaming at each other and disagreeing. Um, so it'd be even worse than this <laughs> where yeah. it's like you have a bunch of you, you have a bunch of people in the prime minister's cabinet who while they're not all on the same page it's generally very civil and they're they're going about things in a way where they're they're still listening to each other but i would imagine in an american production it would just 
okay, now now not only do we have a giant fucking radioactive lizard, we also have a civil war happening in the White House. Well, <laughs> like, a, fo- a quarter of the people wouldn't believe it's actually happening. They're like, I don't think this is actually happening. <laughs> <laughs> Strikes a little too close to home, but yes, you're you're absolutely right. But um, do you want to try to cover the major beats of this movie? I yeah. Mean, uh, we will have to condense parts of it because the pace of the movie is utterly relentless yeah i mean i what i love about the the opening is that we have the traditional uh like the 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 traditional godzilla scream and it's not actually he only screams like one time or two times in the movie it's really just only a few it's just bookend we get the original uh godzilla scream i think the original the original score plays at the end but i didn't catch it at the top uh it it's just the footprints um yeah, the the traditional Godzilla march doesn't kick in until later. Um, the the soundtrack for this film, I'm glad you brought that up, uh, is a it's kind of beautiful in in how it's assembled from uh, earlier Godzilla films, mostly Showa era stuff, um, from Akira Ifukube, who is you know the basically the father of Godzilla's soundscape, mm-hmm. including the roar, which they do use the 1954 version of. Uh, sparingly but it is identical like mm-hmm. they didn't clean it up or anything it is that I, same old raggedy horrific scream i like that yeah i do too i think it's great um but they use the same recordings from those earlier movies too so even those sounds and and the sound effects too mm-hmm. like when buildings come crawl like crashing down it's the same like 1950s 1960s sound effects it's like it's somebody went to painstaking like loving effort to to craft the soundscape for this film um, but in addition to that, there are original compositions by Shiro Sagisu, uh, who is a frequent collaborator with this director, Hideaki Anno. I noticed exactly zero music in this movie. Not, not really? A, not a single thing. Yeah. Wow. You, you, you blow my mind, Kyle. I mean, like, like you have said before, um, this is not a condemnation of, of how we watch movies, but you have stopped me before and you have said... We notice different things, mm-hmm. and you, you are absolutely right. You do notice a lot of details that I completely miss, but for me, it's just it's impossible for me to separate the, the audio-visual connection. For me, I think uh, in movies where I don't, if I like the movie and I didn't notice the music, that means that I the music was in my subconscious, and it was a part of my viewing experience, and that was creating the tension for me. So it, I really liked the way this movie played out, and I didn't notice the music, so that means it must have been good. Okay, well, uh, do me a favor and look up one of the tracks from this movie. Right. Uh, it's it's called uh, "Persecution of the Masses." Mm. Um, it is the it. piece of it's the piece of music that plays when he first makes landfall. Okay, um, it's haunting. Uh, it's kind of it's kind of beautiful uh, actually, but it is kind of it's melancholy and creepy at the same time. But it has the sense of scale and grandeur that a Godzilla theme should have. Um, but yeah, the majority of the soundscape actually is just referencing older stuff, and I was so fucking hyped in the theater because I did I did see this movie in the theater because I'm that Whoa. kind of guy. Um, when when they finally do have to play the obligatory Godzilla march, I was so fucking hyped because they they picked the exact recording that I would have picked. And I was like, me and this guy, this guy, this 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 is the guy because <laughs> it, it's the terror of Mechagodzilla version of the march and my entire life i have always maintained that is the best iteration of that piece of music and I that have, was the one they went with i have the seen one that time one. it gets played and i was like 
fuck yes. <laughs> my man. Oh, to, to quote Jason Momoa, my man. My man. Yeah. I thought you were, doing, right. thought you were doing Denzel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my man. Oh, before we forget, uh, Chernobyl, HBO, have you watched it? Absolutely. Okay. Just double checking. Keep going. Yeah. No, it's, it's phenomenal. Okay. Um, and actually, there's a Japanese film that came out very recently, star- starring uh, my my brother Ken, uh, Ken Watanabe. Uh, that's about the Fukushima incident. Ooh, is it on I the same? I I do not imagine it would be nearly as intense mm. uh, as Chernobyl, uh, being as this shit happened in 2011. Oh, the other note, I I'm so sorry, I, I forgot to share this, is that uh, the Tohoku earthquake, uh, it was only a few weeks ago. 10 years ago like we we narrowly missed the anniversary of that event Hmm. um but yeah it it's uh it's a movie kind of from the same perspective of chernobyl where it's like the people in the actual reactor room when shit's happening oh if you think this is a nuclear explosion you hate stalin yeah i could see that yeah (laughs) jesus right that that show is so fucking frustrating so it's so fucking frustrating (laughs) it really is it's a it's a uh it shows the dangers of shamming. <laughs> so like, yeah. This is what happens when an entire country is made up of shammers. <laughs> yeah, it's bad. Um, uh, but yeah, but the uh, the opening is what I was starting with. I, I like. I'm like. I kind of got excited because I'm like, ooh, they did the original Godzilla roar, which they should because it's awesome. But we waste no time. Like it's immediate. We're in the movie, and I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, pretty much first thing we get is it's just like a an abandoned like yacht. Like not a yacht. It's not a yacht. It's, it's a nice. It's a nice boat. It is a nice boat. Um, and it's just in like Tokyo Bay, and we immediately get a tr- a trick or a. I don't even know if it's a trick anymore. This is kind of a convention of modern daikaiju movies, is a clever clever perspectives. So we get an exterior shot of the boat, but then we immediately cut to like handy cam footage or like helmet cam footage of like the coast guard investigating. It reminded me of that weird that weird transition in uh, Bad Lieutenant where we're we get the that iguana. <laughs> well, the iguana, but the the alligator on the road where we get like the weird perspective of the alligator, and it's like oh yeah yeah yeah. It was so very super low angle, yeah. Yeah, and then it it, it just kind of strange. It was like huh, I don't know what that was all about. But there's a few of those in this movie. Yeah, um, I think it's really interesting to watch this movie. I think Kyle, like, I don't know if you'd be game for it but this is a movie that does warrant a rewatch because it does move so fast um because the cinematography in this movie is is really stunning at times Mm. um and i think it's especially cool if you are familiar with the director's work i mean the man worked in animation uh so similar to like brad bird moving on to mission impossible uh, 4 ghost Mm. protocol if you keep that in the back of your mind that this guy used to work he used to live in storyboards um, his shot compositions and stuff like in ghost protocol it's very precise like the action sequences and the framing of those sequences like, is so are, precise are you talking about just like the framing in general or like how we're moving how like the camera's moving just in general like a little bit of both because so i in, i did pick up on it in Anno's case it's camera movement uh, he does a really good job of maintaining a sense of reality whenever godzilla is involved like a lot of the camera movements feel like it's all done in a digital environment, like via CGI. However, the way the camera's moving mirrors that of like a helicopter that's in the area or something. So yep. it feels like you're looking through an actual physical camera. And when we're looking from the ground, it feels like you're a spectator, like you're a person on the ground watching. I did pick up on that. 
Yeah, there's some really incredible match move shots where it's it's clearly like a live live plate shot that they filmed from a moving vehicle, but then they inserted Godzilla in there and they matched the CGI like movements to the camera judder and the mm. camera movement, so it's seamless. Uh, but more than that, like the where the places that he decides to put the camera are like kind of unique to him. Like there's literally a shot that the cut happens when somebody puts a a phone receiver down into the camera and then there's like a macro shot of like people throwing pens onto a desk and a lot a lot of macro shots of stuff like that and like he also likes to do this thing where it's like an overhead projector shot where it's like the camera's embedded in a desk looking up at the people Mm -hmm. leaning over the desk yeah he does that in his animation and he does it in this movie and it, it it's really clever really simple stuff but it adds so much life to the thing but i'd, I'd like the shot where uh they're passing around the laptop that's got all the data and i thought that was kind of fun yeah i like that one too uh, my favorite has to be um when they're still deciding how to respond to godzilla um and they use that overhead shot so it's people talking to each other face to face like and the camera is pointing up towards their chins um, and they actually superimpose legal text on the screen mm-hmm. because they're discussing the legality of deploying munitions on that's, a on a living creature. Like, is does this constitute a military action? That's something <laughs> I was actually thinking about too. And then when they started, I'm like, well, like, can you legally do that? Like, can you just start bombing your own country? Like, bombing things in your own country? And I was like, I was surprised to see that in there. I'm like, oh, look at that. It was kind of a question I had. Uh, but yeah, getting back to the, the movie proper, uh, so we do get to see this investigation of this fancy boat, and uh, what we see in there is like a some sort of oceanographic map. Uh, somebody laid their shoes out, uh, which tells you maybe they don't plan on coming back or something. <laughs> and there's also a origami crane folded on the desk. Uh, and then very abruptly, we, we cut to this wide shot of a gigantic water explosion, presumably where that boat it's just this gigantic plume of, of fluid blowing up into the air in like in the center of Tokyo Bay on a very sunny day. <laughs> so beginning of not the best day, I guess. Dude, this makes me so mad because I'm like, I wonder if this movie's like one way to gauge is like if a movie's good is when they plant something and it comes back later. And when I saw the origami on there, I thought, oh, yeah, I wanted to buy a book on origami. I didn't even think of its significance in the film until just now. Oh, well, it does come up later, except for this is the problem when your dialogue moves a mile a fucking minute. Uh, it's very easy to miss details. And I think that's actually one of the weaker elements of the film is that this opening sequence is something they keep calling back to. But I've seen this movie three times now, and I'm still kind of struggling to, to form the connection. Uh, so basically we have a... A scientist named Goromaki, who, funny enough, that's a that's a name from I think Godzilla 1984, uh, from one of the main characters from that film. So it's it's just the name; it doesn't really matter. But um, basically, it's some sort of scientist that uh, functioned both as an entity within Japan and the U.S. Um, something having to do with biology and radioactive materials, um, and it's heavily implied that he was either involved in in research that would culminate in like the development of radioactive isotopes that would give birth to Godzilla or maybe he was involved or maybe he was involved with the origin of Godzilla himself uh problem is the guy is never alive in the film uh and we have all these revelations that happen like scientific revelations uh, having to do with the nuclear materials that gave birth to the Godzilla in this film 
Um, but it all happens so fast and it, it is consequential because you can tell the character's enthusiasm levels are up, but it moves so quickly. That's like, I know that was a revelation, but I'm not entirely sure what just happened. <laughs> so did, are they saying that he made Godzilla or that the toxic waste made Godzilla? I think it, I think the story is that the toxic waste made Godzilla. And then he um, studied. So I think, I think he made the material that Godzilla, whatever Godzilla originated as like ingested and then evolved to, to survive that process, to survive being exposed to those materials. Uh, so I don't think he intentionally did anything, but but he did create the materials that gave birth to the monster. Yeah, so the there's like a bubbling hap- happening in the bay, like underneath the boat or like right where the boat's at. And then there seems to be flooding down the tunnel as well. And it looks like blood's coming down. I wasn't yep. sure. That is blood. Uh, that's what I got from it. Okay. Uh, it's Godzilla's blood. In fact, apparently this was like maybe a... Uh, potentially discarded plot point that Godzilla's blood would be highly radioactive or something um which mm. is something that has been expressed in other Godzilla movies previous and in fact they do explicitly state that Godzilla is radioactive yeah, is and some of the areas he goes through are not safe to be in after he's taken a walk through them um but yeah we get another really clever perspective shot during the sequence where it's just a car like driving in an underwater tunnel and then the tunnel abruptly just starts filling with what looks like blood. And you can hear, like, uh, the person's lady friend, the driver's lady friend, like, saying, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> And then they drive right into the fountain of blood. And it's like, ah, oh, that sucks. <laughs> so, yeah, while this is, while this is happening, um, the government guys are starting to become wise to it. But what I don't understand is Squeaky Wheel immediately chimes in and says, what if it's like a, what if it's a monster? Like, what if it's not what they think it is? What's he basing that off of? So, something that this movie does that um, I'm surprised we haven't seen this in a, in more disaster films, uh, maybe because we don't seem to be getting as much of them lately. Uh, they're not as in fashion as they were uh, during our childhoods, <laughs> during the 90s, uh, or the 70s for that matter. But um, something this movie does that's kind of cute is that uh, because they are telling this film from the perspective of pretty much the whole country. We have frequent cutaways to just random Japanese citizens, like not characters, just random people. Um, And we live in the age of cell phones and Twitter and stuff. Uh, So he got that information. I think, I think he was just like standing in the stairwell, like waiting for the meeting to come, like to come into play. Um, And he was just looking at internet news and uh, people took photographs like just ordinary japanese citizens took photographs of something that looked like a giant tail in the water um and it's interesting to see the difference in perspective where there's a recurring theme during these early like cabinet meetings in the film where information gets passed between two or three people before it gets shared in the meeting and it's it's utterly frustrating to, to watch where it's like, it took you that long to get that into the hands of the person who literally did nothing to contribute. All they did was read it out loud to people that needed to hear it. Meanwhile, ordinary citizens are getting more immediate knowledge of what's happening uh, just by having cell phones and being curious. <laughs> uh, it, it's very, very, very frustrating. But yeah, this whole opening act of the movie is just cutting back and forth constantly between like the cabinet assembling, the prime minister sitting down and going through the minutes of all these meetings. And then like very uh, like handheld kind of footage of just 
ordinary people like in the underwater tunnels being evacuated um and i, I love the tone of a uh, of some of the dialogue that's being tossed around here where you have people like doing that nervous giggling and stuff where it's like this your car just got covered in radioactive blood you don't know that yet and the mm. tunnel is shut down but they're being like escorted to like uh emergency like slides basically <laughs> but and you can hear people like laughing about it and commenting on how novel it is it's like oh i get to i get to go down a slide this is cool yeah meanwhile there's a giant fucking monster that you haven't seen yet but it's on its way to the shore <laughs> yeah I like- it's like that seems like how things would be where it's like it's the beginning of a crisis we don't even know what's happening just yet it's like everybody's nervous but they're not terrified or anything well i like how they're easy to raise in this like oh we got this it's under control it's like all right uh so we figured out what it is well they think they figured out what it is and then they're like okay so they stop bubbling i'm like okay so we're gonna do a press conference tell them everything is okay it's under control (laughs) and then all hell breaks loose um specifically uh squeaky wheel after seeing the thing, uh, they're all like arguing at the table, like what it is, and he's just like, maybe it's a monster, and they're like, the "Fuck you, talking about?" Uh, and his mentor specifically said, "Hey, don't say that in there. <laughs> just go yeah. along." <laughs> yeah, uh, basically this this whole opening 10, 15 minutes. Um, I'm I apologize if I'm making it sound tedious. It really isn't. It's actually very engaging, and the dialogue is very snappy. And this movie is extraordinarily funny at times, but it's that incredibly dry type of humor that you you have to be paying attention to really get just how funny it is uh like for instance like like what kyle said where there's a debate like is it even a living creature and there's a there's a portion of this film where all the cabinet members are arguing amongst each other and one of them just kind of cuts everyone off after minutes and minutes and minutes of just going back and forth and just says turn on the tv and they all turn on the tv and while they've been you know not arguing intensely or anything but just like discussing in a very casual manner of what to do and what the actual crisis is somebody turns on the tv and sure enough there's a big fucking tail in the water (laughs) and they're like oh it's a tail oh hey you were right after how many hours or whatever of of us you know just talking about whatever the fuck um there's actually a really funny comedic beat here where a they're they're in a meeting and we're going through the minutes of the meeting and by the way this this meeting room is filled with like 50 people or something and it's it's a very lovely atmosphere everybody's in dark suits um and then there's just a slide it's just a black screen with a single line of text that says like basically like this portion of the film abbreviated (laughs) or it's just like telling you the audience that this seems long but it actually was even longer (laughs) Um, and what we're doing here is we're just we're kind of taking a jab at the the nature of bureaucracy and and just the the way the Japanese government functions. Uh, you you can tell everybody wants to really like throw their hands up and make make a big noise when they have something when they see an opportunity to contribute something. Um, but any potential to upset anyone or step on anyone's toes or break protocol, everybody's just like they turn into sheep. Um, there's even part. There's even a great part where the guy you're calling Squeaky Wheel, whose uh, actor name is a Hiroki Hasegawa, uh, Yaguchi is the character's name, and he is basically a protagonist. Uh, there's a part where he's he's trying to usher the conversation along, and we get this again. The framing is kind of perfect here. We get this moment where, like, one of the cabinet members just like looks at everyone else around, and then looks directly in the camera and says like, 
I'm sorry. Who who were you talking to? Because like <laughs> because he never he never stated who he was talking to, yeah. and apparently they're not prepared to continue the conversation unless they do so in a very orderly fashion. Yeah, I was like, it, it was kind of like, who are you? Ta-? Like, it was like, who do you think you're talking to? Like, there was like putting him in check a little bit, like because he does. He's like, this is what we have to do, and like we don't have to do shit, dude. I think it was actually a quirk in the language. Uh, because a lot of a lot of these sentences begin with somebody stating the title of whom they're addressing, and I th- I think I, I can't be positive, but I think he broke protocol and he just addressed the entire room instead. Yeah, and so they're just like I I don't know how to respond to that, but um yeah, so we have this tail waving around in the bay, and by the way, it's a pretty enormous fucking tail, um and uh. We, we're we're finding every excuse to not do anything. <laughs> it's so fucking frustrating. But some of the like the the framing of some of these shots and just the t- the comedic timing is so spot on. Where now that they know whatever the problem is has a tail, uh, it's insisted that they have a meeting with the the best biologist they have basically in the entire country. And so we we have this utterly boring conversation where we have three guys there's like a paleontologist there's a biologist uh there's one more guy in the room and all, none of them have anything useful to contribute <laughs> and we keep cutting to the prime minister's hand like just kind of like bouncing off of his armchair just like you can tell he's just totally frustrated and impatient because like i know i have to do this it's expected that i make an informed decision on what to do but it's so obvious none of these people know any more than we do <laughs> like it clearly it's an unknown life form we have no fucking clue of how to react to it um and there's almost like a little bit of like a well actually it's not little uh there's most certainly like a generational conflict here at play mm-hmm. where all the young the young bucks in the government uh are restless and they want to get shit done uh, they want to make things happen now uh, meanwhile, all the old timers who've probably, you know, been not necessarily wrongfully, but just promoted casually over the years are just kind of there. They're just kind of like punching their card and going home. Um, and there's no sense of urgency. Um, and part of part of what makes the sequence really work, though, is that we keep cutting back and forth between the very orderly, very tidy manner of Japanese politics where I, I even point out to Kyle, there's a moment where we we break a meeting so we can move to the other meeting room yeah. because protocol. Yeah, <laughs> it was so strange because I'm like, okay, so they're going to get some of these people out of there because there's like 20 dudes around a table and each one of those dudes has one to two people that work for them sitting behind them. And I'm like, oh, there's one person taking the minutes and then there's people coming in and out of the room just handing something to the person that works for one of those guys sitting around the table. Yeah, like I said, if um, when when we do get to Squeaky Wheel, kind of taking over the film, we see there's a dis- there's a very obvious reason as to why he said we're not going to do things that way. <laughs> like we're just going to keep things. We're going to make a flat organization where no there's no titles. Everybody can address everybody equally. Well, in American disaster films, uh, I always notice that there's always like think uh, what's. Air Force One. Think about the uh, the White House scenes in that movie. Like, there's people sitting at a table, but there are people running around like crazy in the back. Like at all times, just people just running around. Someone just coming into the room and saying something. Whereas this is just like, just very quiet coming in here. Just pass this note over there real quick. 
just let him know what's going on. Well, that's what's so funny about about that meeting, the abbreviated one, is that we have those pages jumping in and handing people documents over their shoulder, and they keep having to ad- adjust their statements. Or it's just like I just I just caught word that uh, it is a living thing. Oh, I just caught word that, just over and over and over again. It's like could you could you just fucking sing it? <laughs> like, yeah, I, but we kind of maintain that composure while everybody's still alive, uh, as far as the cabinet is concerned. Um, but it it shifts to where the chaos, well, not even the chaos, but all the work's being done off-site. It's being done in another room. Yeah, I, I really like the, the rhythm of, of this movie where there's a there's not a difference of energy, but just a, a difference of, to quote Joss Whedon, t- texture, texture. Uh, to the... To the boots on the ground and and the like the political just like discussions where like you said everything's very organized everything's very measured but all the shit that's happening on the ground level is just fucking crazy i, I want to bring up the military part of this um there, there's two things one i thought the japanese man uh was going sorry june uh from the whaling <laughs> i was like what, what? they call him the japanese one they call him the japanese man um uh, June, I oh, thought in, in the in the whale in the whaling, yeah, the Japanese man. Um, I thought that he was. I thought that he was gonna turn. Like there usually is that uh, that back and forth between like you have somebody saying that we don't want to nuke it, we don't want to take you know these kind of actions because it's gonna cause more damage. But you have the military guy who's like, yeah, you just gotta blow it up. You just gotta blow it up. So I thought that he was gonna be kind of that character and kind of turn into the villain a little bit. But the other question I have is. I'm guessing she's sec def, like she's the uh, secretary of defense. The lady. So we have uh, one scene where, like, it's like missiles are ready. The uh, the missiles are ready. Can we shoot? Missiles are ready. Can we shoot? Missiles are ready. Can we shoot? And then just she just goes, "Can we shoot?" Or like she kind of like shaves off the last part. That's kind of the important part each time. I don't know if you caught mm. that. I did. <laughs> she. I I believe that her her office is probably close to our sec def. Because mm-hmm. um, she she was pretty much relaying information directly from Jun Kunimura, who's like the liaison between the the JSD the SDF and the oh yeah JSDF. Yeah, I'm guessing um, he's like he's the the highest ranking general, uh, pretty much. Yeah, uh, he's he's the guy that relays the message from the field or the field offices to the PM's office directly. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, not to completely like jump way towards the very end of the movie but <laughs> speaking of jun kunimura um he uh i mean <laughs> i've long said like in the past 10 years or so like you just can't make a movie in japan without him being involved you're right i've uh, seen him in a lot of movies you have <laughs> i have too he he is in everything <laughs> um but what i found kind of interesting and this i don't know this could be ma- me making assumptions but this movie uh, is is a very political movie. Um, parts of it are satire. Um, parts of it are actually intensely nationalistic. Um, maybe potentially to an uncomfortable degree for countries that neighbor Japan and probably have history with them. I didn't find it uncomfortable. I thought it. I thought it towed the line kind of perfectly, actually. Um, but what I found fascinating, um, and this is the kind of stuff that might make Japan's neighbors a little nervous, uh, is. Uh, at the very end of the movie, when uh, Yaguchi, uh, Squeaky Wheel, uh, finally gets to put his plan to paper and present it and, and enact it, um, he's contracting the aid of, of the Japanese Self-Defense Force to carry it out. 
and it's the meeting on in stark contrast to everything we see in the opening act of the movie uh consists of him and two self-defense force guys uh one of whom is jun kunimura um when he does it uh just how just how seamless things are uh, just how smooth that meeting goes um there's a there's a moment there where june like looks at him he's like wow that was easy and he's like yeah it it's our job yeah and bear in mind this man represents the self-defense force of japan uh who have not had any action outside of like mostly humanitarian work like they do like leave japan uh they do send troops to other parts of the world but in terms of like carrying out actual military movements on japanese soil especially they do exercises they they haven't had conflict since since its inception but i found it fascinating that it's like wow military is a lot more manageable than government it's like (laughs) it is (laughs) because it's all top down yeah but it's just fascinating because in stark contrast to the earlier parts of the movie where we get to see how bureaucracy and how how politics work we we have this very direct very just like we're gonna do this okay we're doing that (laughs) you don't if you think about this movie not so much what would japan do in this situation you could think about this movie as what should japan do in this situation it offers a pretty good blueprint on like how to go about this get a bunch of people who are experts in their field related to what we need to do and have them decide and have them guide this because that's actually what happens surprisingly yeah, that's kind of the beauty of this movie is that it it starts out very critical of like of Japan. Mm-hmm. Like it's made by a Japanese filmmaker for Japanese audiences mostly and it starts out very very critical of how things are done in that country. But then by the time you get to the end of it, it it's actually very positive. Mm-hmm. It actually has a very uplifting kind of conclusion and it's neat that they get to jump back and forth between those two because that's a hard trick to pull off in the same movie. Normally you just get one or the other. Um, but yeah, uh, building on what Kyle just said, this is where we get introduced to, I, unfortunately, I don't know this actress's name. Uh, this would be science lady, science uh, lady who's perpetually staring directly into her laptop. This lady has the fastest fucking lips I, I think <laughs> I've ever. <laughs> I, it was actually, it threw me off when she first talks. I'm like, is she talking really fast or, or is like, or is Japanese just spoken this quickly? And I just never picked up on it. Cause she's going like, no, she belongs. It, she should probably dub Quentin Tarantino movies in Japanese. She sounds like Robert De Niro <laughs> at the end of Cape Fear, <laughs> just like just going, going down the fucking river, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> speaking go, tongues, going a mile a minute. Like whoa, yeah. Yeah, no, she speaks incredibly fast. I don't know how many takes they had to do for some of these bits, but yeah, she. This lady is clearly a very talented actress. Um, she plays this character very well, where she's supposed to be kind of like. Uh, lacking in empathy, I guess she's just the facts, ma'am. She is, but it's not off. Like it's not off-putting. Like you remember, Chris, uh, I think it's Chris Evans. Chris, what's Captain America? Evans, yeah. Chris Evans, and I think it's Life, where oh yeah, yeah, yeah. like yeah. he's that kind of guy. He's like no social skill. Like he's he's truth bombs just here and there, and it's very off-putting the way he's doing it. She's it's pretty standard. Like it. It's not uncomfortable the way she's truthing. Truth you know what I mean? Well, put it this way. Uh, forest for the trees, not a problem for the city. No, no. <laughs> That's her, a good way to put pers- it. She has a very, very solid perspective on, on things, and she doesn't really care too much about rocking the boat. 
Um, but that's actually a theme in this movie, uh, is that we have this very orderly, very hierarchical governmental system going on. But this lady gets brought in because Yaguchi um, asks his, his buddy, who is also a page, basically, I think he's like a rank below him, uh, do, do you have anyone in your, in your social slash professional circle who could help us out in this particular situation? And the way he states it is like, I, I have a friend from university. She's great but she's very low ranking. She doesn't have like a, she's not well regarded in the scientific community. And Yaguchi has kind of that like, I don't know, meritocratic uh, viewpoint on things where it's like, if she's good, bring her in. Yeah. And sure enough, they bring her in. And you can tell just from an aesthetic standpoint that this lady has not taken a shower in quite a while. Yeah. Um, <laughs> she doesn't wash uh, her hair. She has no. Well, we're, I'm pointing this out. We're pointing this out because she is in stark contrast to another female character in this film. But yeah. Well, and all the dudes in this room, honestly. Yeah. Like everybody's like got perfect haircuts. Everybody's got clean and pressed suits. Like everybody looks like they're there to do the job, regardless of how good they're actually doing the job. This mm-hmm. lady doesn't care about decorum. And again, she's not very well regarded, but when you hear her speak and you see how hard she works, you can tell she's really fucking good at her job, but from an aesthetic standpoint, you wouldn't guess it. I like how scientists um, across, like, did you did you point out that uh, one of the first things they do when they figure out that this is an animal of some kind, um, they bring it, and he's like, there's already scientists here. <laughs> it's kind of funny. It's like, there's already scientists here saying, don't <laughs> fucking blow it up, don't blow it up. <laughs> And I love how scientists cross-cultural all dress the same. As soon as these guys sit down, I'm like, yep, that's exactly, those are scientists right there. I can tell. Those are yeah, cargo, that, those are cargo that's pants. The, that's the biologist meeting. All three of them, yeah, they, they have a look. Those pants, <laughs> water's not getting past those pants. Those, those Water is not going to penetrate those pants. Yeah, uh, paleontologists generally don't look like Sam Neill. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, chaoticians slash mathematicians generally don't look like Jeff Goldblum. It's funny, (laughs) when I met my partner's advisor, and I'm like, oh, this guy's a scientist. (laughs) When I met him, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, this guy's a scientist. Oh, yeah, no, I I had a friend whose dad was a ichthyologist, and uh, yeah, (laughs) he looked like jerry garcia (laughs) i forgot our next door neighbors our next door neighbor he was a geologist he had phd in geology and oh my gosh oh yeah they shop at rei they were decked out in rei it sounds like the kind of guy that wears a like photographer's vest Mm -hmm. yes but doesn't carry a camera every (laughs) day a photographer's vest (laughs) every single day Uh, so uh you going fishing are you taking pictures no (laughs) Like you you look like a guy who wears a lot of Birkenstocks. <laughs> he read a lot. He didn't like us. Uh, yeah, sounds about right. <laughs> uh, but speaking of protocol and stuff, though, um, so we've had a few shots of destruction. Like I said, there's yeah. a rhythm to the early goings in this film where we keep cutting back bef- between conversations in the political offices and the shit that's happening on the ground. Like on the ground, um, this is where we get that. Uh, uh, Fukushima imagery uh, where we have like boats coming down like yeah. uh, waterways that are in the town basically like in the Tokyo area though um, and it's uh, if you've seen any news footage of the actual incident it's spot on like it looks identical to this shit I actually watched uh, a video just a couple of weeks ago I'm not sure where it was at uh, but it was 
uh, not, not, I'm not sure if it was a tsunami, but basically massive flooding like that. It just picks up this boat, and this boat's just being carried and just smashes into a bridge. And it's kind of shocking to see how much power is behind like water like that. So this, I was like, damn, like it's a lot of CGI, but it's good CGI. I just wasn't expecting it to be this much CGI, if that's fair. Well, I mean, Godzilla hasn't made his proper appearance yet, but let's let's get into this shit, Kyle. We'll get into this. Dude, can yeah. I say that when Godzilla makes his appearance, I'm like, oh, here's the monster that Godzilla is going to fight. Oh, <laughs> I could see that, actually. Yeah. I'm like, they're like, this is a weird thing. It's Because, uh, first of all, I, I think they kind of carried over the eyes from uh, the... The original Godzilla, because uh, Godzilla's supposed to be a reptile. And if you've looked at a reptile, it's just a fucking thing that's not thinking and has eyes but not blinking. And it makes sense. Like, that's what they were going for. But when this thing comes out, I'm like, what the fuck? And, like, does it have glasses on? Like, funny glasses? <laughs> yeah, uh, the appearance of Godzilla in this film. And uh, we're basically there. Yeah. So uh, we do get a reveal of Godzilla in gradu- in, like, stages, which is proper monster etiquette if mm-hmm. if you can if you can afford to do it it's always a good idea to reveal your monster in stages and then have like a grand reveal mm-hmm. uh, and this one we get the wake of his destruction uh preceding him though because he's basically pushing the ocean onto the streets mm-hmm. uh, in the form of all these boats and cars like just flowing through the waterways into the streets and onto buildings and stuff and then we get like a shot of just like a macro of his eye amidst all the dust and chaos and stuff. And it looks like a, a snake or a, a fish even. Yeah. Like it has no, it doesn't move. It's just facing directly outwards like a deer or something. Um, and yeah, it's it's like a doll's eye. <laughs> lifeless. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I do want to say that the, the later incarnation of him... Uh, he does have incarnations in this film. Yes, he, takes he does. Multiple forms, which is interesting because um, that's never happened. I'm assuming in a Godzilla film. No, generally no. Um, he, uh, I mean, in the early '90s, you got to see him before he was irradiated. Uh, so, I mean, that's one difference. Uh, and then, of course, there's the burning Godzilla, where it's just normal Godzilla, except uh, he's got like magma cracks in him, and his his general coloring is black and red instead of his normal charcoal gray but yeah normally he doesn't transform or anything um but yeah i want to say the eyes in the in the like the the most iconic incarnation he has in this film uh, are directly taken from the original 1954 design same with maybe even the arms because his arms aren't really suited for a whole lot (laughs) he doesn't have uh it's interesting the way his body is because if you've never seen like it's really strange to see if you're expecting a godzilla movie what what did you think in the theater when you saw this did you know this was godzilla or did you think this was a monster like another monster i assumed it was godzilla really? i didn't i i assumed there weren't going to be other monsters um the marketing yeah. for the film i did i did see trailers preceding it, unlike you um <laughs> I, the marketing suggested that it was just going to be a solo godzilla movie hmm. and like I said, when the combination of the marketing and the music and the director's name attached to it, I really thought this movie was going to end with the end of the earth. Mm. <laughs> like, like, you need to see Evangelion to know what I'm talking about, but this is a director who is not afraid to make really, really horrible shit happen in well, his stories. If I mean, honestly, if they didn't figure it out, they weren't going to... St- I mean, obviously, they weren't going to stop him, but, like, conventional 
like the conventional takedown of something like this was not going to work. So yeah, this thing would have destroyed the world. Yeah. No, I, I, my assumption was that there was going to be like a meltdown or something. Mm. Like, like he was just going to bore into the center of the earth and we'd, we'd all have that awful moment where it's like, well, that's it. <laughs> we had a good run. Smoke them if you got them. <laughs> Hold on to your butts. Um, but yeah, this is where we get the the press conference that uh, Kyle had mentioned earlier, where it, oh, yeah. it's a very comical moment. It's where uh, the the prime minister, who by the way, again, this is this is like protocol. This is very Japanese, very orderly. It, even in a crisis situation, there is a rule book. We will abide by it as best we fucking can. Prime minister stands up from his seat after you know they've decided. Okay, we we got to come clean. Too many people have seen this thing. Uh, clearly, there's a giant monster heading towards the shore. Um, prime minister bolts out of his chair and he's like get my uniform <laughs> because of course he has his crisis uniform this this the jumpsuits the jumpsuits yeah i yeah. didn't understand the jumpsuits uh it's a it's a very japanese thing <laughs> they're, they're very big on uniforms and like keeping things proper and in order and tidy and stuff so like if you if you're like a utility worker you have a very colorful jumpsuit that you you have that you you have oh, seen yeah. them in the movie oh yeah um, and, and I guess in like crisis situations, the prime minister has a jumpsuit. Um, I mean, obviously schools, you know, they have uniforms and stuff. And even, even in somewhat ancient times, like, like in the samurai days and stuff, like lords and stuff would have like, uh, uncle knickknacks, summer wardrobe and stuff like that. <laughs> uncle knickknacks, winter wardrobe. <laughs> they'd, they'd have that kind of stuff where it's like, I need my special robes because I'm leaving the house today. Or I need my special robes because I'm crossing the border or some stupid shit like that. And if you didn't do that, you were breaking the rules and people would shit on you behind your back, of course, because head on confrontation is not cool. Um, <laughs> but this this is a genuinely funny moment where the prime minister has finally decided he needs to inform the public that there is in fact a giant monster. Um, but, but it's okay from a physics standpoint, it, it can't, certainly can't support its oh, own weight. Yeah. <laughs> Although the science lady in the back has already said it's already supporting its own weight and they just apparently ignored her mm -hmm. and he's on the stage and the authenticity of this presentation is pretty cool where they have like, it's like a news broadcast, so the camera angle and all the titles on the borders and stuff looks like something direct from, like, CNN or something. And there's even a, a sign language interpreter uh, in a little window on the screen. Um, but, yeah, he, he is on the podium speaking to the press and stuff, and he's like, it's okay, though, folks. Things not going to be able to come ashore. Nah. And then, then a page <laughs> runs up to him, and it's like, <laughs> it did what? <laughs> Hard cut to the streets of Tokyo where Godzilla has made landfall. And as Kyle had said earlier, it it don't look like no Godzilla. It doesn't look like Godzilla at all. <laughs> it don't look like no Godzilla, I know. Um, he's kind of orange in color, actually. It's very strange. Yeah, it, it, it really threw me off when he actually makes his landing. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a different way to introduce your monster. I, it, hasn't, uh, yeah, it hasn't been done in a Godzilla movie, apparently. Yeah, it's interesting because we we have like body part reveals of him, and then we just get the just a hard reveal of of all of him all at once, and he's uh he's like on all fours. In fact, he doesn't even have arms like no. in the front. Like there's just nubs, and his eyes are bulging, and he look his profile looks almost like a salamander with spines, mm -hmm. and he has gills in his very very long neck uh, that are oozing blood. Uh, so that blood we saw in the t in the tunnel presumably was coming out of there. I think 
what they're getting at here is that you know it's stages of evolution where you go from the ocean to amphibian to you know an upright bipedal reptilian creature and right now he's kind of in his amphibious stage and yeah some of these match move shots of him going through the streets and oozing blood out of his neck are kind of stunning for for japanese special effects in 2016 um and this is also where that uh piece of music i told you about kicks in it's a really good music cue it's a persecution of the masses and it's plays pretty much until uh one of the one of the actually like kind of genuinely horrifying moments in the movie if you ask me in the theater i had actually had like a little bit of a emotional reaction to it i was surprised um because this movie's not too big on like outright violence Mm -mm. like when buildings are being destroyed and stuff it's you know it's generally the same as any other godzilla movie where you know you see property damage but there's no human cost the family in the apartment it's the family it's at the very end of his rampage which by the way we get to see him go down like a uh was it like a gridlocked like freeway basically Mm -hmm. and just like sweeping his head back and forth it's pretty spectacular um just throwing cars all over the place but this musical piece and in fact this whole sequence concludes with him coming across a building and instead of going around it because it's pretty tall he tries to mount it and go over it Mm -hmm. he just his weight just kind of collapses it it's very clumsy and stupid looking i mean like Kyle said, he does look like he has Archie McPhee googly eyes glued to his fucking head. Yeah. Um, but there's just this one shot of a, a mom, a dad, and a little baby, like, packing up to evacuate. And the set that they're on, they actually, like, tilt it, and all their belongings just slam into them and push them into the back of the room. And then we cut away from that. But just that one image of a family, like, having their their home collapse on them, it's like, fuck that was rough that's what the uh cloverfield like for a found footage movie it was pretty fun but yeah you can kind of see some of the the aftermath of a big monster running through the city um yeah that was fun yeah um cloverfield's cloverfield's an odd movie it Um, is i had a friend i had a friend who like wrote an essay about it because he thought it was like a he thought it was a kind of a remarkable like romance film Mm -hmm. like because it is kind of schmaltzy in that way but it is if you break it down all the way it is the story of a like an unrequited love or something it's about a guy traveling through a harsh environment to like hug a gal before she, before she, she leaves the country forever she was pretty hot so yeah i get it i mean it's odette eustemann it's, it's worth it's worth taking a hike down the road if a monster's in town you know? <laughs> but, um but yeah uh the initial attack sequence just kind of ends with um, they're trying to decide what to do about things and they get the the JSDF mobilized and stuff and as far as I remember this whole sequence kind of ends with a, a goofy beat where we bring in these helicopters and you can tell the, the Prime Minister's really big on like yeah. PR and stuff yeah so the uh, <laughs> so the Prime Minister like they're he has all these people telling him all these different scenarios. It's like, uh, if we don't try to kill it now, it's going to cause so much more damage. He's got like five balls in the air, and he has to choose which one to catch. And all of them have severe consequences. And he's like, how do you make this decision? And they have all the, they've got all these helicopters ready to go. Like, they're ready to shoot at it. And it's, it's kind of funny. Like, he's just not even... Like, he doesn't even realize they're there. He's just kind of just sitting there staring at them. And 
uh, he decides at the last minute to not fire at him. Yeah, we we just cut to the ground level, and it's like a man carrying his grandma across some some like railroad tracks. Yeah, and they're like, there's, <laughs> this was what I was talking about. They're like, there's a civilian. Can we still shoot? There's a civilian. But then when it gets to her, she's like, can we shoot? She doesn't say. <laughs> it's just like I'm just not going. I'm not going to. I'm not going to share that information. <laughs> well, again, I guess if you're affiliated with an organization who, you know, is is all about military deployment and whatnot, that's never been deployed uh, in its entire existence, it could make you a little antsy. Could yeah. make you a little, you know, jarheadish. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's a com. It's a comical moment where we have all these helicopters scrambled. And they keep asking, are we allowed to shoot? Are we allowed to shoot? And it's like, Gram- Gam Gam's crossing the road down below, though. Yeah. <laughs> and, and yeah, uh, they decide not to fire, and Godzilla just kind of abruptly takes off. You you half expect a very anime, like, like sweat droplet to come down <laughs> Godzilla's head. And he's just like, this is awkward. Bye. <laughs> oh, oh, by the way, Godzilla shows a transformation during the sequence where he stands upright and grows very suddenly. Yeah. Um, the special effects when he's growing don't look particularly good, but when, once he's stabilized, it looks pretty solid. I, I like the texturing on him, and he he's still kind of orange colored, but just he he almost looks like a like when a squirrel stands up, right? Like yeah. he's very heavy. He's very bottom heavy. Yes. His arms are barely developed, but um, yeah, he takes off back into the ocean, and this is where uh our characters start to find themselves a bit, and this is where our actual cast kind of emerges. So uh, Yaguchi puts together a, like a Godzilla response team, mm-hmm. and this is where Kyle pointed out, basically the way this organization works is we have a bunch of misfits and dorks, yeah. uh, outcasts essentially. It's a room of people who, Yeah, people who are very, very competent but underappreciated, um, assembled for a singular task that is addressing the Godzilla problem. And uh, the way we're going to do things is in a, he calls it a flat organization where there's no titles, there's no honorifics. Everybody can address everyone freely whenever they, whenever they choose, uh, which is basically he's trying to facilitate faster response, faster, more efficient work, basically. You know, I just realized was in uh, Armageddon, uh, the really, really smart scientist that like puts, um, oh gosh, I can't think of his name. Anyway. Uh, he basically is like the smartest guy in the room, and Billy Bob's like, he's pretty much the smartest guy in the room. You don't want to listen to him. He's not in the rest of the movie. And you even have the rest of the NASA guys trying to figure shit out. I'm like, where's the smart guy? Why don't they have him in there? I just thought that was kind of strange. Armageddon was what, 98? Yeah. <clears throat> when was the Patriot? <laughs> 2002-ish, I think. Oh, wow, that early? Shit. Because uh, I'm curious like, what Jason Isaacs was up to. Because... He's he's a good guy to have in any production, but yeah, you're right. I expected more of him. Well, just the character itself. If you've said that this guy's the pretty much the smartest guy in the United States of America, and then you just don't have him helping the rest of the movie, it just seems weird. But yeah, uh, two thousand was the Patriot. Gotcha. Wow, that was a lot earlier than I thought. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Yaguchi has his organization going, and this is where. Like I said, this is where most of the familiar faces that we're going to be dealing with for the remainder of the film uh, are all assembled. And I, I really love the casting here because everybody does look like a little bit of an outcast. Like, they look like the band hall kids. Mm-hmm. Um, but like the, the way they work. They look like the crazy 88 without the masks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
Um, but this is where we get introduced uh, to our American connection, uh, who is played by, uh, what is her name? Uh, Satomi Ishihara, uh, who's playing a uh, Japanese-American woman. Uh, so Japanese by blood, but technically she, from America. She's Japanese. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's a funny aspect of her performance, actually, is that um, she's supposed to be American, and uh, when it comes to portraying that in Japanese, when she's speaking Japanese, she does it actually very, very well. Um, this, the, way he sh- the way she speaks is radically different from most of the other people in this film. Um, word choices and lack of honorifics and stuff, it, it's actually kind of neat because it does sound kind of like somebody who's a little rough around the edges as compared to most uh, Japanese folk. Her, her, um, her English is pretty good. Like It was it kind of threw me off when it happened, but I'm like, her English is good, but not good enough to work in the White House. I can tell you that yeah, much. I, I was about to say, uh, her ambition, and this is kind of silly, is to become president of the United States. I was like, not with that accent. Nope. I'm sorry. Nope, not sorry. in 2021. Uh, we're, <laughs> most people in this country, I don't, I don't think they're ready for that. <laughs> uh, it could be a while, honestly. <laughs> yes. Shit. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> but, but yeah, um, that sadly is a thing. <laughs> like regardless of competency, that is the optics probably wouldn't work um, for for most Americans, unfortunately. But yeah, she is uh, she's part of the American government, and she's a climber. Um, but she arrives because she wants to share information with Japanese government, um, and it has to do with the boat that we saw at the very beginning of the movie. Uh, so like I said, the, the doctor whose boat that was, uh, Goromaki, apparently worked, he's Japanese, but he also worked for the American government to some capacity. Um, and it's heavily implied in this film that somehow, because of his work with the American government, uh, um, the U.S. was aware of Godzilla before he arrived on Japanese shores. Um, so it it is implied, again, it's I don't think it's explicitly stated, but it's implied that we knew about the thing before it actually happened. And uh, a lot of the efforts we're making in the film have to do with covering covering that up. They like say, oh, we totally didn't know about that. <laughs> That's crazy what happened over in Japan. Yeah, the big lizard thing. Uh, but yeah, she, uh, she, like I said, she, uh, the way she behaves is very, very different from the majority of the Japanese cast. So she comes across as a little bit of a disruptive element. But at the end of the day, she is there to help. It's just kind of funny how the way she carries herself is so different from everyone else in the film. Yeah, she's a, like a liaison, so she doesn't really... I don't know, she just carries herself like, well, this is kind of a problem. We'd like to help out, but like she's not really engaged. She is not engaged in the situation like the Japanese government is. <laughs> yeah, I do like that when she gets to like the ready room for Yaguchi's like, collective or whatever... Uh, she's all business mm-hmm. like she like she she also has the gift of gab um th- i think there was a requirement much like a quentin tarantino production that you got to be able to talk fucking fast to be in this movie <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah uh basically everything's playing out we're, we're trying to prepare for godzilla and what yaguchi's team is trying to do is find a solution to the problem and the solution they come up with is developing some sort of coagulant something to stop godzilla's movements and biological functions Mm -hmm. um and remember at this point we haven't actually tried to destroy him um but i think at this point in the film it's understood that godzilla is 
heavily radiated mm-hmm. um i think they do get like a radio like a radar scan of the environment and they see that everywhere he stepped there's there's plumes of radiation they're trying to have they already tried to shoot him once uh not just yet uh he he does make landfall here and this is where we get to see him in his i guess you'd call it his final incarnation uh the one that's on the poster essentially because they start with a non like a non-bomb related way of taking him down before they bomb so did they did he negotiate the team He's like, listen, we're going to bomb the thing. He's like, let me find a way to, to bring him down without bombing him. Yeah, so that's what they're doing. Yeah, but- they're they're operating kind of on the side, on the periphery of the rest of the Japanese government and military. Um, yeah, Godzilla unexpectedly makes landfall again, and he's, he's like twice the size he was before and looks radically different. Uh, so clearly this is a thing that can evolve very rapidly. And in fact, there was a lot of dialogue like talking up just how insane the biology of this thing has to be. Uh, totally unlike any other life form on Earth. Uh, and Kyle, we should talk special effects for just a minute here. Uh, so the the presentation of Godzilla in this film, like Kyle said, this is a very CGI-heavy movie when it comes to its special effects. Uh, this is the first time uh, Toho had ever rendered Godzilla in full CGI. Um, there had been occasional shots of him in CGI in previous Godzilla movies, but this is the first time they've ever just straight up not built a suit um but i before we started recording i did counter kyle on that point and i think it's fascinating that they chose to do uh performance capture uh because it maintains the spirit of suitmation of the traditional method of doing a godzilla movie because there still is a live actor performing the character only difference is they're they are wearing an actual suit like uh, to match the proportions of the monster, um, the guy has like a, a Jar Jar Binks helmet on ah. that like stretches out his head, so like his head's a few feet above his. Kind of like Josh Brolin wearing the the, the Thanos yeah. cardboard cutout behind him, <laughs> uh, so the actors know where to look. Like a few feet taller than Josh Brolin. Sorry, Josh, you're not nine feet tall. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, it's just a guy wearing like pads on a blue or a green screen, um, and I think it's really neat that they they decided to still have that human element to the performance. Um, but another thing that's really fascinating, though, is that there's still quite a bit of miniature work in this film. In fact, most of the destruction scenes uh, that Kyle talked about earlier, if you look if you look up footage, it's actually live props. Um, it's just composited into an environment that uh, it's like, it's either live footage of Tokyo um, with like CGI compositing and live props all all spliced together um or it's just pure miniatures a lot of the building destruction and a lot of the cars and the, and the boats being tossed around they actually did film miniatures it's kind of neat yeah i didn't notice any of the miniatures that's because they're good they're really <laughs> high quality but <laughs> I, I, think I, that... <laughs> I like to notice though that's the thing i like them to be good but i like to notice them as well so that i can appreciate how good they are okay that that is fair um or at, I, le- or at least be pointed out which ones were. Because I actually didn't know for the longest time in GoldenEye when Alan Cumming goes outside to smoke, there's the satellite in the background. I didn't realize that was a miniature in the background. It was. I'm like, oh, wow. And then I went back and watched it. I'm like, oh, wow, that's actually really good. I think that actually that's my favorite way to appreciate uh, 
I mean, there's like Godzilla miniatures in the old days where it's like, you know, I just like seeing it get smashed up and stuff. But these days, my favorite kinds of miniatures are those where it's like, I didn't know that. I, I was not aware of that. I was not that. aware of that. Because it's it's so, there's like a, a specific kind of thrill that I get out of it where it's like you, you see a behind the scenes featurette and you're like, really? You mean they actually built a physical prop for that, and I and I my eyes didn't tell me that. That means it was really fucking good. Really like good. most of Christopher Nolan's movies, um, really, and pretty much all of Peter Jackson's movies. Well, yeah, that that goes without saying. I mean, his are more obvious, but Christopher Nolan's movies make heavy use of miniatures. Mm. Um, he loves that shit. But again, they're usually very very convincing to the point that you don't even notice it. Mm. But anyway, yeah, uh, we get a very long sequence that. Uh, is it feels like procedural of of what like a not necessarily an actual military act would look like but more just like uh exercise or something would look like there's a lot of components to it uh we have how we have from a couple different bombs from the sky we also have tanks and then was there there was another one i'm missing i think there's more multiple forms of artillery we open with uh like rotary cannons on some helicopters. We've progressed from like mm-hmm. bullets to munitions to just hurling fucking giant artillery bombs at them. And it's kind of interesting because you see exactly this in every Godzilla movie, basically. Mm-hmm. But this is the only time I've seen this particular sequence have a sense of foreboding about it. And it's something to do with the music and the cut and the authenticity in the line deliveries and and the, even the shot choices where there's a lot of like the timing in, i think the timing does it uh, quite well yeah it feels very genuine yeah and again the combination of the music and the timing of the edits and stuff it, it actually you actually feel the sense of desperation uh, where it's like holy shit yeah. nothing works like like all these taxpayers' dollars are going into nothing. <laughs> well, we get to the very last ball, and they're like, this is going to fucking work. This will work for sure. And it doesn't, by the way. Yeah. Um, it's it's funny. I forgot to mention during all the uh, science chats uh, in Yaguchi's department, um, <laughs> the, the one guy has this line he just keeps throwing out there about, like, how can we predict Godzilla's movements? And, like, do we know anything about his behavior? And he just keeps yelling, like, he just moves. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, I don't know. He just does. He just does. He does. Like, yeah, he just moves around. Yeah. Like, that's he's completely senseless. And actually, that, add, that does add a layer of kind of not outright terror, but intimidation. Mm-hmm. Because... In wrestling parlance, Godzilla is totally no selling all all of these hits, where he his eyes don't even blink. He doesn't have eyelids. He just slowly keeps moving forward, and like his head is just being pummeled with explosives. It's like throwing and, eggs at concrete. Like it's doing nothing. Exactly, but there's some there's something to it that he doesn't even react because like in an older Godzilla yeah. movie, he he would ah! roll, yeah he would thrash around or something. This one, he just keeps moving yeah <laughs> and they get excited because he changes course but then the one guy's yelling in the back room like do you, that doesn't mean anything it just he's just moving <laughs> i don't remember, know if you remember jurassic park 3 very well but when they all kind of meet up and they like how did you find me he's like i heard the phone ringing and he's like oh yeah and he's like i didn't have it the other guy had it and he's like oh no he was eaten by the dinosaur and they turn around and the dinosaur is just staring at them, kind of like listening to their conversation, <laughs> waiting for them to notice that he's there. Godzilla's basically doing that. He's just like, 
just waiting for it to all be done. Like, okay. <laughs> uh, I think it's even dumber than that. I think this Godzilla just is constantly He's going... freeze frame. <laughs> He's kind of just freeze-framed. <laughs> Are they done? Yeah. <laughs> No, I think he's doing like uh, Patrick Warburton in uh, The Emperor's New Groove. It's that lovely sequence where it's, he's singing his own so theme funny. music. It's so yeah, funny. Yeah, he's singing his own theme music in his head. Like God's, this Godzilla is just slowly inching forward, going dun We re- all the while explosives are going off all over the place. We rewatched that for some reason a couple of uh, like I think like last year we rewatched it maybe during uh, COVID like the the big lockdown. And I was legit laughing at Patrick Warburton's moments in that movie. I'm like, God damn it, he was funny in that. Yeah, no, I I think that's an underseen Disney movie, but it's a fun one. It's really fun. Yeah, it's a fun one. I'm I'm really glad that I, I think it was like Woodshop or something. We had a substitute to put that on. Yeah, that sounds like a substitute move. <laughs> yeah, it was either that or like the road to El Dorado. And oh. Like, yeah, we got the, I mean... I don't have a problem with that movie. I kind of like it actually, but that was a weird Emperor's time. New in, Groove was better. I think that was a weird time in Disney. Yeah, that 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 was kind of around that same time. Ta- I think it was because they were having problems or something. Like I don't think they were doing so hot after like Hunchback of Notre Dame. So they're maybe <laughs> maybe they got some people to take some chances or something. Because I mean that was around like Brother Bear. We really we were uh, doing a lot of dude. It seems like we were doing a lot of dude stuff. Hunchback of Notre Dame, Tarzan. Tarzan was like this is the this is gonna reset Disney. This is the greatest thing that we've ever done. And then we hang a dude. <laughs> like Jesus Christ. Oh, I mean Hunchback of Notre Dame had that going too where it's like this is a sexy disney movie <laughs> this is a churchy disney movie on top of that <laughs> I, I think tars tarzan they made the mistake they had mini driver doing voice acting i'm like that's the last thing you want is mini driver talking <laughs> sorry <laughs> she's obnoxious well yeah i mean they were up to some interesting things around that time not necessarily financially successful things but mm-hmm. they were taking chances on some weird shit like i said brother bear it's right. like trivia question has joaquin phoenix been in a disney movie there you go (laughs) um but yeah anyway nothing fucking works on godzilla but he's not doing like traditional godzilla and like lashing out he he completely no sells it he has no reaction he just kind of marches and not even marches he just kind of shuffles along he moves like a fucking slug in this movie he's in no hurry but he will kill you. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't doing the leg workouts that Godzilla 2014 was doing, Trevor. He oh, wasn't. On, yeah. He wasn't on the same workout program. He doesn't have that power, you know. Yeah, <laughs> that ex- explosivity. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. As the uh, Japanese, as the Japanese moviegoers called him on like Twitter when that movie came out. That's thick Godzilla. <laughs> thick. Well, there was a there was a joke online from from Japanese like Twitter users and stuff like talking about how oh typical American Godzilla of course he's fat, fat yeah <laughs> I was like that's fucking perfect yeah. <laughs> he's not fat he's big boned yeah <laughs> hey he's trimmed down in the years since yeah he's he's less stumpy Pay- but yeah I mean to be honest Godzilla's always been he's he's always had a, a thigh problem <laughs> yeah like, I don't know if he has like lymphedema or something but <laughs> maybe he has that he has, where he collects a lot of fluid in his thigh region he's got muscular it's weird because he's got muscular thick thighs but he's got a tiny head <laughs> yeah yeah uh but anyway uh long story short uh military doesn't suffer a whole lot of losses but they do have to pull out yeah like they just they have to retreat 
And this is where the the movie uh, does what a movie of this nature should do in the middle. Yeah. Uh, It is a crisis movie, and not only does the movie progress to nighttime, so the color palette of the movie tells you it's shit's about to get dark, um, the the actual events in the story follow suit. Uh, So it is now the evening, and Godzilla has just kept moving, and apparently he's headed straight for the PM's office. Uh, so all all of the government officials and stuff are evacuating. All the like all of Tokyo is attempting to evacuate, and I really love the attention to detail in uh, pointing out just how hard an evacuation is. Oh, the bu- those buses are not moving. Like it's insane. Yeah, some of the shots of uh, I'm sure it was like CGI assisted, but some of the gridlock like mm-hmm. overhead shots, it's like oh my god, it's like, like you're you're better off just walking. Yeah, it's like <laughs> the the evacuation. It's like we have to evacuate them to where? Where are we taking them? Yeah, it's 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 like that guy on the beach in Saving Private Ryan. What do we do now, sir? It's an <laughs> island, and this thing has no direction. It's just gonna go wherever it wants. We could take him east. He might go east. We could take him west. Might go west. Where are we gonna take him? <laughs> it's like Sigourney Weaver said in Galaxy Quest. I have one job on this ship. It's stupid, <laughs> but I'm gonna do it. <laughs> I love that line. It's, that movie's great. That movie is great. <laughs> it's stupid, but I'm going to do it. Um, but yeah, it is now nighttime. They're trying to evacuate, and this is where the Americans play their hand. Uh, so somehow it's made aware to the United States. Of course, we know what's going on over there. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> we have we have top men working on it. Um, that nothing has stopped the creature. Uh, so they send out some like B-2 bombers, basically, uh, to drop some heavy ordnance like mm. bunker buster shit on on top of the monster uh and there's a lot of uh there's a lot of lip service paid to the idea of of the bombing being a threat to the general populace even though the vac- evacuation is being carried out and stuff uh everybody's really scared of being in the area and again i think this is you know japanese filmmaker speaking to the japanese audience about you know past trauma of being bombed by foreign nations and mm. stuff um so of course but yeah, the imp- doesn't care yeah uh like i said that is a theme in the background of this movie but um one of these bombs uh, hits godzilla and it hurts like mm. he actually does react this time and it in fact it does seem to pierce his skin and causes a whole shit ton of blood to pour out of his back uh, which is pretty intense and we get this really awesome close-up of his head, like roaring and like bellowing in pain. Mm-hmm. And something about the motion blur on the CGI and the lighting in particular, um, it looks like a live prop. Like it looks like a puppet head as opposed to a CGI Godzilla head. It's, mm-hmm. it, it's a really lovely shot. But this is where, uh, Kyle, do you want to describe what Godzilla's fire breath is like in this movie? Yeah, it starts with like a... Uh... It's like clear, and then it gets to be fire. Like, oh, it breathes fire, and then it uh, it breathes a fucking laser beam, basically. Um, and this, do we get the spines doing the laser beams here too, or is it just the mouth? Yeah. It's both. We so his all of his spines shoot up like spotlights, and he shoots the uh, the the laser bre- laser breath. Uh, uh, yeah, essentially. Yeah, it's laser breath. Uh, he destroys these. I guess these are drones dropping stuff on him. Uh, mm-mm, mm-mm. No, these are stealth bombers. Oh, these are stealth bombers. The next one we on the, the big yeah. plan. The big plan's got the drones. Uh, 
Yeah, and he just destroys all this shit. He's like cutting buildings in half. We're like, okay, we piss it off, and we should, probably shouldn't do that again. Yeah, uh, in the theater in particular, this sequence was gripping. Mm-hmm. Uh, just just because this is where CGI actually is useful to a movie of this nature. Um, where, of course, you know, I was raised on the Godzilla. I like I like the traditional methods and stuff, but the sheer scale of the destruction in this sequence is kind of it it takes you up it it i was taken aback uh, because after he's hit by the bombs he's like pitched forward and you can see his spines lighting up and you know the little kid in me is like oh yeah he's about to breathe fire i've been waiting the whole movie for this uh but it looks painful like it looks like he's reacting to being injured or something and he starts like barfing first just like black clouds into the streets um and then flames but again, the sheer scale, it's like the fire, the flames, the smoke coming out of him as he's pitched over, not even breathing fire just yet. It's like bl- multiple city blocks. Mm-hmm. And when he finally belches this purple laser beam out of his, his mouth, uh, it takes out like a quarter of the city in just like one fell swoop. Yeah. Um, Seattle this is not be something leveled. <laughs> Seattle would yes. be, yeah, just leveled. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, I got tons of people out here, and they're covered in glass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, the the sheer scale of the destruction is far greater than any other Godzilla movie that's ever been, just because, I mean, this is him being reactionary. This isn't malicious, but just the sheer power on display. It's like they've never shown Godzilla do this before. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, like you said, it's cutting through everything like butter, like a, like just knife through butter. Yeah. Um, and buildings, uh, presumably like Tokyo landmarks and stuff, all get smashed to pieces. And those B two bombers that are usually difficult to detect and usually high enough in the air to not be reachable, <laughs> done. <Is> this, <laughs> all of them blown up. <laughs> is this where they discover that he's anticipating the attack? Like he actually, because uh, he's radioactive, but then he can kind of close up and his as uh, uh, his levels go down. Is this where they discovered that? Uh, it's immediately after this. Okay. Um, but yeah, they they do a really good job of letting this scene breathe. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, again, what really punctuated this moment in the theater, again, was the music. Um, there's a really heavy, like, it's a female choir, I think, or at least maybe just a, like a single vocalist, like a solo. Um, it's the moment he gets, like, injured by the bombs. It, it's a very sympathetic, like, melancholy tone. And it makes you feel for the big dumb thing <laughs> for just a second. But then he starts setting everything on fire. Yeah. And it creates this really interesting atmosphere where you're uncertain of how to feel, but you feel. Um, the other really important thing to note here is that he casually destroys the Japanese government mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. on accident. <laughs> it's like Mars uh, Attacks. <laughs> it Actually, very much so. <laughs> very much so. Um, kind of like Glenn Close eating that sh- chandelier. Yeah. Oh um, man! Yeah. <laughs> uh, she's up for an Oscar this year, I think. Has she not won one? She may not have, and that's probably why she's up for one. That's incredible. She hasn't at this point. I think Amy Adams is in the same boat, actually. Huh. And it's... I don't, I don't think Amy's been nominated, but uh, they were in the same movie together. Good Close is kind of. She's not. And doesn't do as much as Gary Oldman, but she definitely has had a few like transformation roles where you're like, that was Glenn Close? Like, wow. Um, but nothing yeah, like she, Gary Oldman. <laughs> yeah. I mean, 
she she's due because I don't know how many she has left in her, but hillbilly elegy I've heard not is not very good, and and her in particular. Uh, so hopefully they hopefully they don't do that too little too late thing they do. It's kind of off putting to see like like iconic actors like that, and you see them on like a Netflix thing, and like oh no, <laughs> they got you. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when I saw like what was it Gary Sinise on like one of the CSIs or one of the Law and Orders, and I was like, oh, oh no! Ga-. I was like, oh Gary, come on, Gary, <laughs> Gary! And of course, the first thing my mom said when she saw that commercial was, "He got an eye job." <laughs> he did. <laughs> no lies, but um, but yeah, uh, during the evacuation, uh, Yaguchi and most of the lower-ranking officials are attempting to get out of the city uh, via the freeway. Yeah. this That's not good. <laughs> I really like this shot because, I'm like, this is what an evacuation looks like. Uh, it's kind of... I, I was like, do not show me a fucking dog running after. Because th- this was my first... Like, Chernobyl has a really... Like, for me as a dog guy, I'm like, oh, god damn it, that dog's not coming with him. And I was expecting that to be something here. It's like, you can't take pets. We're only taking people. Like, that's all we have room for. But... Thank goodness they don't throw that in here. But this this shot is really good. Of uh, it, it's miles. Like you can just see for miles, this freeway is backed up, and it's just buses stacked on top of each other. It's going nowhere. Yeah, and everybody just gets out of their cars. Imagine like they start walking. <laughs> imagine one flat tire. One of those things with a flat tire. You're absolutely going nowhere. Oh, I mean, in this country, that person would be beaten to death. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah we because cool no, they'd shots. be beaten to death because the person that's beating him up doesn't think there's anything wrong. It's like, what's with this traffic jam? I don't even understand what's going on. <laughs> Just trying to get to the ball game. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, we get some cool shots of everybody taking shelter, like in the subway system. And they're just like stacked up on each other. Like there's no breathing room, but... You can see them like looking upwards towards the street level and just hearing all the chaos unfolding and stuff. And uh, meanwhile, the higher level members of the <laughs> of the government have taken off via helicopter, and Godzilla just kind of absentmindedly sweeps his purple mm-hmm. beam of his purple death ray right into that chopper. Yeah, and they are dead. All of them are dead. Mm-hmm. Um, guess we're gonna need and- some more FBI guys, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's it's that kind of day, I guess. <laughs> it's yeah. a diehard day. Um, but yeah, uh, there's some really amazing uh, f- cinematography here of just like Godzilla looking like a fucking demon wading through a flaming city. And mm-hmm. there's a really awesome like from orbit shot. I mean, obviously it's CGI, but yeah, like, just <laughs> it's not from just yeah. I'm but, sorry, yeah. but still, it's like an from orbit view of that re that entire region of the country you know, it just looks like it's on fire yeah it's um, a mess so again demonstrating the scale of the destruction um but in the morning it's time to rebuild yeah uh so everybody like all the higher government officials are dead and yaguchi is kind of he's kind of rattled like he's not happy with how things went and he has a really cool moment where he has this buddy who seems just from an aesthetic standpoint like he looks like kind of a slimy fucker he does yeah but he, he's yeah, he's the guy with the lift. He's got a little bit of a lift, which is really weird. Like it's just weird to see someone in another, speaking in another language from like another country with a lisp. It's like, oh wow, that's that's interesting. I wonder what that lisp is on. 
I'm from Zaragoza. It threw me off at first. I'm like, is he talking weird? Or Yeah, I think he's got a lisp. <laughs> uh, yeah, because he keeps asking for a cabinet position. He keeps asking, like, I, I still I want the whatever, the cabinet position. Just remember. Yeah, he, he's, a, he's an opportunist. He's a climber. Um, and he sees Yaguchi as a guy who is also, like, in the same boat. But he doesn't want to do, like, the heavy lifting so he's like hitching his star to his wagon and there is a joke that doesn't translate well in this film that i was telling you about before we started recording that almost every character in this movie when they're on screen has their name and job title displayed on screen via text Mm -hmm. so in the english subtitled version of the movie uh the subtitles they do they try to put them up in the letterbox uh so it stays out of the view like out of the frame but in the actual Japanese cut of the film, the text is in the frame. Like, it's covering important visual information stuff so it obstructs your view and stuff. And some of these job titles, like, the, I think the, the joke kind of reaches its, like, culmination in the sequence where they're discussing, like, the rebuilding process of the government and we need, like, the, the hot-headed young bucks to step up and fill the gaps. And they show Yaguchi's uh, job title, and it is longer than the width of the frame <laughs> it's like a humu humu nuku nuku apua where it's like the joke is the name is longer than the fish um and his job title just has all these it's like one of those german compound words where you just keep slapping <laughs> just noises onto it <laughs> and it means something entirely it just you just keep adding noises to that word and it becomes a, a greater word it's like a 36 letter word that means cat who is blinking yeah well, it's like district manager in charge of sewers, power, cats, and dogs, and everything yeah. in between, plus your grandma. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, but yeah, it, it's a joke that doesn't translate as well in the subtitled version, but it is it is kind of funny just seeing like this wall of text just showing the guy's job title. But um, we resume uh, operations and trying to figure out how to develop this coagulant to counter Godzilla. And... This is where we get to see the cool stuff of what you can do with a fucking phone call. <laughs> um, I love that about this movie, where it's, it's just science people and like people working under science people wheeling and dealing on the phone for logistical purposes. Like a, a huge, a huge portion of the climax of this movie is making deals to secure con- like trucks mm-hmm. and 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 pumps, basically, <laughs> and fluids. Like who? What companies do we know that can supply these materials in a pinch? And there's even a really, a really like important, like humanistic moment that it's not to be overlooked. Where one of the science crew, one of Yaguchi's people, is uh, running computations, and his he's using supercomputers to do it. Mm-hmm. And he's like, it'll take a, it'll take a while, like a week or so. And they actually contact like a German facility yeah. to do parallel computing yeah this fucking piece of shit uh this guy this german dude comes up to these people eating lunch he's like hey listen the japanese folks would like us to run this computation and like to get it pretty quick and the guy's like well we can't take the possibility of letting like our uh letting out whatever like classified information we run the risk of you know letting that let uh letting that out and the lady's just like yeah no 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 we'll do it for him We'll, we'll do the right thing. Like, she doesn't even, like, shut him down. She's just like, no, we're, we'll do it for him. I'm like, yes, you will do it for him. We're crying out loud. 
<laughs> she has a very warm demeanor. She, she does. Seems like a, she seems like a, a mom or something. <laughs> Not what you're expecting from a German scientist. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> Just historically in movies, they're usually not the warmest of people. <laughs> yeah, but that's the communal effort stuff that I was getting at. Scientists, is... that is, not just Germans. <laughs> <laughs> We're not making that broad of a, a yeah. statement, but, um, but yeah, this is this is all of humanity coming together to achieve, like to accomplish a singular task, and that is getting rid of this big giant monster that's killed many people and blown up many buildings. By the way, there's also another really great joke in here in the form of the new prime minister. Oh, yeah. He's such an adorable old man. Yeah, this guy, it's it's really funny. Like, he was way down the totem pole. <laughs> he was yeah, not- he's like... He's like de- he's like head of the Department of Agriculture from some boonie district or some shit. Yeah. Uh, but I love his introduction. It's just like a bunch of pages standing in front of him and like telling him some really serious fucking shit. And he's in like the big chair and he just has this dopey face and he's like okay then all right that's great proceed with it and everybody leaves the room and then he just looks down on his desk and he has a bowl of ramen the noodles yeah yeah he's like oh the noodles got soggy yeah i don't think he's gonna eat it either <laughs> <laughs> yeah he looks like he's like nope not, not, not interested anymore like, like are you kidding me <laughs> Like you said, this is a guy who was way down the totem pole, did not ever expect to have to do anything, and okay. now he's in the big chair. All right, can we speculate what the American government would be doing at this point? We have fired on Godzilla. The United States government is in charge. This is happening on U.S. soil. We have okay. fired like crazy on Godzilla, and it did nothing. Uh, and we'll, just, we'll assume that we have a room full of scientists like they do in this movie, which maybe. Um what is the next move after bombs don't work? Well, has our government been obliterated yet? Or 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 if we just fired at him and he's hasn't had any effect? Oh, uh, you know, we'll go with no, yeah, he, the government's still there. Okay, government's still intact. Well, uh, I'm gonna try to talk and think at the same time. So first thing that would happen, independent of the government, many 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 americans of their own free will Mm -hmm. of their own volition would drive from the opposite coast Mm -hmm. to the site of the crisis and start shooting bringing a shotgun and be shooting at him 24 7 i'm so glad i'm so glad that's where (laughs) (laughs) that's where you went to first i'm like that's exactly what i had in mind i'm like we're just gonna have people driving to go get it driving to go shoot at it i mean kyle you come from a part of the country where you know Occasionally, there's like tornadoes and stuff, and <clears throat> a lot yes. of times bullets find their way into those tornadoes. <laughs> and it's not because they, you know, trash like stores and stuff. It's because people literally fire into the tornado. <laughs> Bill Paxton's drunk, shooting a gun at it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is a place where natural disasters are fired upon yes. on the routine. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I could totally see the citizenry of the United States. Taking up arms, relocating just to do that. <laughs> yeah, I honestly don't know what the plan would be. Uh, I mean, they've got the plan down packed here. Like, they, they've got it. The plan in this makes sense, like how they would attack it. Yeah, uh, th- I think this is a fairly realistic representation of, like, how the military efforts would be carried out. Mm-hmm. Even, I mean, it's really easy to have a cynical view of, you know, your own homeland yeah, yeah. and stuff. But truth be told when it comes to 
civilian casualties and you know munitions being deployed on our own soil like i said that's not something that we've really done yeah um but i it's also something i don't think we'd be terribly thrilled about having to do i don't think we'd be thrilled about having to do it but we'd throw but read read anything about Patton. uh we're, we're totally fine with throwing bodies and stuff so i think we would we would try some things out <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm sure some something would be exploded at some point yeah. <laughs> trevor trevor yes <laughs> i mean if you're gonna have it you gotta use it at some point i mean i, I assume that's the general philosophy honestly I, i'm imagining they'd be like mr president if we nuke if we shoot nukes at godzilla on our own soil we will lose 100 million americans and like you know what that's a risk i'm willing to take <laughs> well put it this way top gun is a movie about flight school it's about learning to be a fighter pilot. At no point did that story require actual munitions and actual casualties, but they found a way to fit it in there <laughs> because it, there was an expectation that if you're going to have fighter jets in your movie, they're going to blow something up. Mm-hmm. Um, same goes for if a Godzilla was to set foot on land. It's like, you got to hit him with something. <laughs> like, you, you got to. Like, there's an expectation here. Do you want to get into the weird red tape before we get into the finale? Like what? Uh, what like the the stuff that's kind of you 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 take control, Kyle. What do you want to talk? Well, about? there's kind of um, there's a, a little thread that I didn't really need in the oh. There's two things going on. So we have two Japanese guys sitting on a park bench, and I wasn't really sure what that exchange was all about. And then we have Squeaky and uh, Hot Lady talking about stuff also. So there's like two different things going on here. So the the major guiding hand between all of these events is that the Americans have declared that because Godzilla is still a problem, uh, they are going to drop a nuclear bomb. Of course, on, on Tokyo, uh, <laughs> on Godzilla, and uh, they again very similar to Godzilla using his fire breath for the first time in the movie. Um, they really let this point breathe, and we get everybody's individual reactions to it, and nobody's happy. No. <laughs> um, uh, the PM, well, the standing PM, anyway, he uh, he kind of, I don't know, he doesn't have a whole lot to say about it, but all of his aides are really fucking pissed. Mm-hmm. And he's, like, trying to be pissed, but he's like, I'm not really here to do a good job. I'm just here to do the job. And it's really, <laughs> he has a great line where he's like, I was really hoping this isn't what people would remember me for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, man, it would be nice if I could just, you know, be one of those guys who has, like, grandkids and dies in his sleep or something. But no, I have to be the PM that let his own country get nuked. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, but yeah, the this is the, this is the ticking clock element of the story. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, we have a plan, and we've been, we haven't really been doing a good job explaining it, but... We've been continually referencing uh, the doctor uh, whose boat blew up in the beginning of the movie. We've been referencing uh, some documents he left behind uh, to get clues as to Godzilla's physiology and origins. Uh, so we kind of explained his origins, but like uh, they used the origami crane uh, to kind of solve the final part of the riddle in regards to his physiology and his makeup. Um, and so everybody's kind of hustling to gather all the supplies that they need uh, to get enough coagulant. Uh, so they have the formula now uh, to defeat Godzilla, but it involves 
formulating a plan to do that like how do yeah. we get him to ingest this or how do we get it into his bloodstream so from what i could gather when he when he did all the shooting the laser breath stuff he kind of like shut down like it was like mm-hmm. a power power surge and then he has to like kind of regroup so the plan is is to uh get him to wake back up get him to like do the fire breath again and then have him exhaust himself so that they can put the put the goo they can put the uh, stuff down his throat yeah that's basically it yeah um they they discover that because they try to send like similar to chernobyl like a robot in uh to explore the hazardous area around godzilla because it's irradiated yeah um and apparently part of him woke up and destroyed the thing when when it got close Mm -hmm. so he has some sort of instinctive defense system and like you said, he kind of powers down after he exhausts himself. So uh, we didn't say it, but uh, af- <laughs> after he blows up the city, he goes inert. Like he just stops. He doesn't even. He doesn't lay down. He doesn't sit down. He just stops standing up straight. I'm so very tired, Stephen. <laughs> I'm so very tired. The one that popped in my head. <laughs> I think I've busted that one out a few times yeah, this month. Yeah, it's a good one. It's a good one. Sorry. <laughs> from the cable guy folks look it up it's been on my mind him sitting at the table in the leather pants and uh with his hoodie on telling him that he bought him a hooker i'm like god damn it that's so good Ugh. steven <laughs> scramby eggs <laughs> <laughs> you're talking and, and then we're fighting and we're having a good time <laughs> god, that's a great movie anyway i'm sorry oh well Anyway, things are moving very, very fast and very, very slow at the same time. Uh, that's kind of the beauty of the editing of this movie. So it's very, very, it's very difficult to talk about, but it's very, very easy to ingest when you're watching it. Yes. So, I, so I apologize if you're not getting a whole lot of entertainment about us, you know, fumbling through this. But if you're actually watching the fucking movie, which you should, because I do think it is an excellent movie on a technical and just like a storytelling level. Um, it's not it's the, because of the way the thing's put together. Am, am I, I'm going to say it's not a great Godzilla movie. I think it's a good movie, though, if that's fair. Uh, I neither agree nor disagree. Okay. Um, but the latter, I think, is. Yeah. I, I don't think you, that's up for debate. Like, I, I do think it's it's too well put together. Like, just on a pure technical level, if you can't appreciate it, then it means you're not paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, there's a lot of movement right now. Um, Kayoko, uh, our Japanese-American lady, uh, has been helping to facilitate things, but she has her own subplot that's a little flimsy. You can and just not pull, very, yeah, pull that right yeah. out of there. You really ought to just pull it all the way out, because apparently she has some confidant in the American government that's telling her, like advising her to back down, maybe excuse herself from this particular assignment. Um I didn't really get anything out of that. But long story short, she pulls some strings to get the U.S. to contribute some military resources to this special plan. That it's called the uh, Yashiori Plan, named after uh, what is it? Yamato no Orochi, which is a Japanese fable wherein mm-hmm. a, a fella defeated a eight-headed dragon or eight-headed serpent by uh, getting it drunk on wine, nice, um, and then killing it. Um, so it, it makes sense given what what's about to happen here. But she she contributes a bunch of drones essentially um, from from the U.S. Um, 
And in addition to that, they're also trying to contract the serv. Well, they're trying to get the aid of the French. Oh yeah. Uh, to delay the nuclear uh, launch countdown, because uh, the Americans have hustled to such an extent that they actually have told the Japanese government, "Hey, we're going to drop this bomb at this moment in time." Oh yeah, the the UN, the the basically the the UN's decided like, yeah, they're going to drop a bomb. It's going to happen. Yeah, it's going to happen whether you want it to or not. Um, but they seek aid from the French in delaying that clock just a little bit. Um, but in exchange, I think they have to give like research materials to the French because yeah, um, there this again is a fairly realistic thing where it's like you have a unique life form that's displayed capabilities unlike anything seen on Earth before. Studying the damn thing would be of great interest to most of the planet and its militaries for sure. We're talking dissertations upon dissertations. Oh yeah, no, you can. You could basically create an entire career for yourself just based on writing papers on this thing. Yeah. Um, so they do. They do like uh, agree to hand over some of the first findings to the French or something. But uh, Kyle, do you want to try to explain what this what this multi stage plan is? Yeah, uh, for attacking Godzilla. Really creative. Uh, <laughs> just from like a filmmaking standpoint, like just to think this up is actually really interesting. So. The plan is we're going to take – starts off with – do we do the trains first? Yeah, we're doing the, the, the trains first. So uh, we shoot the bullet trains at his feet to kind of wake him up again just to, like, get him going. And then I think we shoot at him a little bit uh, with tanks. We have a, uh, some tanks near Drones, drones. Drones, drones, drones. Um, the tanks were earlier. Yeah, we shoot, uh, shoot at him with some drones. And the, the plan is, is to get him weak. And then I really like the uh, – the the trucks with the uh, the hoses on them like the cranes on them uh which i was just like i thought they were gonna like try to inject it in him but what they're gonna do is while he's like like mouth open hanging over the side they're gonna shoot beer into his uh <laughs> into his mouth while he's sleeping which i'm like okay like you really got to get it in there like because it looks like they're just kind of like splashing it in his mouth i'm like you got to get it like in there well, they start to do that with the first group, and he wakes up, and it does not go well. <laughs> like it's a, it's actually pretty fucking crazy how not well it goes immediately. Like this whole first team gone, just like that. Yeah, uh, I I skipped over it, but uh, we do get a. Uh, it's not. Nothing is on the level of the the Whitmore speech from Independence Day. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Independence Day speech is very special. Um, In terms of, like, pump up, like, let's go get these guys' speeches, it's up there. Um, uh, Yaguchi does give a speech to all all these poor souls who (laughs) get fucking off here. But um, I did like how his speech is delivered because there's no music. And there are long pauses in between all of his sentences Mm -hmm. where you can, like, see him formulating his words on the fly. But, again, because of the beginning stages of the movie, how we saw how prim and proper everything is, how how highly coordinated everything is, how everything's very based on honorifics and hierarchy, it feels very raw and from the heart. It's It's not a flowery speech. It's not eloquent. But basically he's saying, like, you guys are all we've got. 
uh, we we appreciate your efforts, but I can't promise you'll all come home. And it's effective, again, largely because it, it's completely opposite of most of the dialogue earlier in the film. Um, but yeah, these guys get fucking tossed. They are <laughs> yeah, it's like shocking how fast it goes. <laughs> it's yeah, one yeah. sweep and they are done. Um, and by, by the way, we also use uh, some nearby skyscrapers uh, to yes. knock Godzilla over. We detonate them both from like uh, ship artillery. So I think there's like a frigate, oh, yeah. a U.S. frigate or something, shooting missiles from from offshore. We have drones blowing up buildings. That's how we get him down initially, is by dropping fucking buildings on him. Yeah, it's it works, sort of. Yeah, it it, it works. Yeah. Um, and the the CGI of, of the buildings and the destruction. It looks is, good. Yeah, it looks fucking good. Yeah, um, it it's almost it almost reminds me of some of those like physics simulator CGI models. I, I don't know if you've ever seen those, but uh, yeah, oftentimes it's just like a demonstration of just like a pile of balls falling apart or something. Yeah. And it's like it just moves exactly as it should, but it always looks really goofy, like a kid playing with its toys or something. But uh, we get him over again, uh, again using trains. A very, very, very Japanese concept of weaponizing <laughs> trains. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, they they fill trains with explosives and crash them into his thick ass thighs um, and knock him over again. And this time. Uh, the trucks resume operations. The surviving different trucks. trucks. Yeah, these are different trucks. <laughs> totally different trucks. Totally different. Trucks. These are totally different guys. <laughs> and it needs to be said. Um, it's a really small detail, but man, Kyle, I'm like this close to making you watch fucking Evangelion just to see what you think of it. The, is it I, the movie? Because there's like a like a six season show, so it's the movie. No, right? it's a 25 episode series. Oh, you want me to watch the whole thing? maybe <laughs> it's, it's good it, i think it's good um i don't think i don't think you'd like it but it's inter- <laughs> it's interesting i want you to watch a 25 episode miniseries <laughs> that you're not gonna like well the movie i think i think you should subject yourself to just because it's 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 beautiful from like a artistic standpoint but it's utterly confusing and uh parts of it are highly experimental mm. Um, parts of it could be considered an art film, um, but it's a uh, highly controversial, and uh, I don't know. I, I think it would be interesting for you to subject yourself to. But okay. anyway, all, all I was trying to say here was that the, uh, the the iPad that everybody has that has all the statistics about like how much fluid they're putting into him, mm-hmm. the graphical display of it had to have been designed by somebody who worked on Evangelion. Uh, because just the artistry of it, like the design of it, looks so similar to diagrams I've seen in that show. Um, it's it's such a small detail, but it's it's so similar that I was like, oh wow, that gives me some nostalgia feels. But um, long story short, they fill Godzilla's gut with beer. Yeah, and uh, he does get to his feet though. Uh, although these trucks mostly get away, thankfully. Yeah. Um, he gets to his feet. And, oh, by the way, they use the drones to basically cause him to exhaust himself. Yeah. So we get a good solid minute of him just breathing fire, uh, shooting beams out of his tail, which he's never done before, and out of his spine. So he's just hurling fucking purple lasers everywhere. Yeah, it's super dangerous. And then eventually he... Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like watching a kid with a bunch of firecrackers. It's like, put that balloon down, you'll poke your eye out. It's like watching a kid <laughs> swing a shotgun around. It's like, oh, shit, get him! <laughs> um. But he exhausts himself, um, so they that's how they get him to stop hurling trucks and stuff, is he's, he's all out of breath. 
Um, but yeah, he gets to his feet and he very instantly just freezes. And that was the plan to begin with, yeah. and it certainly worked. There, um, there's he, a, but he freezes like mid roar, uh, standing up straight. That's why I was like, "That's this is one of these shots where we're seeing it from like the ground level, where you can just see him silhouette uh, in the downtown, like in just near the buildings." I thought that was a really cool shot. Yeah, uh, yeah. It, there's a lot of really good shots in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of artistry at work in this movie. I, I think the cinematography and the editing uh, really do this fa- this movie a lot of favors. But also, it needs to be said this was the uh, largest version of Godzilla that's ever been on film, as far as I know. Um, he's he, he fluctuates in size, but this is like the biggest Japanese Godzilla, aside from the uh, Netflix animated one. Um, but yeah, he freezes, and we do actually get like a little bit of a wrap-up that seems very appropriate. Um, so basically, the, the dust is settling, and uh, we get the only smile in the film from our science lady that's been invested in her laptop, heavily invested in her laptop the entire film. Yeah. Uh, because she has some findings to report. Um, and that would be that Godzilla's radiation uh, that has been spreading everywhere he set foot uh, has a very brief half-life. Which is exciting news, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not as long as they would have expected because he, he is like comprised of uh, brand new radioactive material. Um, unknown radioactive isotopes uh, but apparently they collected enough data to learn that I think it's only a few months uh, before it'll be halved and you know be on its way to being out of town uh, so those parts of the city can be re-inhabited and yeah she gives just like a little bit of a smile here and it's kind of neat it feels very well earned yeah she needs to finally smile <laughs> yeah for real um, but Basically, everybody's uh, collecting themselves and coming to the understanding that, uh, well, the big monster is frozen, but I guess he's going to be like a monument that's just standing in the like well, <laughs> in the center of fucking Tokyo. He's just going to be there. Well, it sounds like he's going to unfreeze at some point. So yes. they're going to ha- like he's just something that they have to deal with now. Yeah, um, there's a character that we haven't been talking about. Um, that's actually really important to the story. It's no sense going back. Um, but basically, he was the assistant to the PM. Um, but now the PM's dead. And the other guy, uh, I think, immediately resigned as soon as Godzilla froze. <laughs> um, he's kind of out of a job. But it's heavily implied that Yaguchi is going to become the next prime minister. Um, but this this fellow, the PM's aide, uh, he uh, tells Yaguchi that the plan at this point is to completely start from scratch mm-hmm. like rebuilding the country um and they use the phrase a uh, scrap and build um which means something to to the japanese people because like like i said you know post-world war ii they had, had their s- unconditional surrender and most of the country was completely leveled um so the idea of do like a coaling fire essentially uh is a familiar one from you know several generations ago but it is something that they have had to do in you know in the 20th century um so this is like a callback to that process and uh, there's there's like an air of positivity in this conversation where it's like yeah we are going to have to start from scratch um like with just like a general election for every post um but maybe this could be a good thing maybe this is a teaching moment for the whole country um i like the way this ends uh you have two options like you can just leave it at this don't do any more godzilla movies and it's just the idea that you have this thing to live with or you easily could do another movie and but it's not like yeah but it's not like a a 
I telegraphed, this is a sequel setup. It's just, it could be either one. Yeah, I was really happy with how this ended too, uh, for similar reasons. Because you, you really, I'm more than happy to call it quits here. Yeah. But at the same time, if they did a good script for a follow-up, to- I'd, I'd totally be down. Easily. All you have to do is get some uh, rogue, renegade Japanese guy who wants to destroy the island and he just has to fucking throw a bomb or like just figure out a way to get him charged back up. Well, that's actually something that... Uh, it's a exceedingly small detail, but it reminded me a little bit of uh, Akira, mm. um, where when Godzilla, in the evening, uh, before he's breathed fire and stuff, uh, there's like a a huge crowd massing in the area and we see them like from a bird's eye view from like a helicopter view and it's just a blob of people but you can hear them and they're all chanting like godzilla is god Mm. um and they did that in akira also where tetsuo is tearing up the city and he develops a following because you know it's a teenage boy with psychic powers that's uh, the country's already in chaos, but this is a guy who's like fighting the Japanese military and dismantling it with his brain powers. And so you have a whole bunch of rioters and you know political demonstrators who are like, "Oh, I want to be, I want to be with that guy." Yeah. Um. So they're like following behind him. They're all like rallying behind him. It's very similar to that, where it's like, I wouldn't be surprised if there was a reaction like that, where it's like, I don't know how to make sense of this thing, but this thing is indestructible. Um. And I, I guess I'm putting my faith in it. But, um, yeah, I, I kind of hope that this is the end of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is a little bit. The f- final conversation in the movie is between Kayoko and Yaguchi, uh, where she basically says, I'm going to go off and become the president someday. No, you're not. No, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> um, and she's like, you, you would be a good counterpart to me. So I hope you ascend to prime minister status as well. Um, but she also offhand mentions that uh, the nuclear detonation counter it stopped at like i think like 10 minutes or so it was like it was close. really down to yeah the, it was really down to the wire and i love that we cut to the the prime minister of japan the the guy who didn't want the post um they show the explanation as to how they got the french to help them with uh delaying the the countdown and it's just them in the pm's office and the french guy sitting in the prime minister's chair and the prime minister's just completely bowed like at a sharp angle just like head down <laughs> like so it's like i get the sense he was just like bowed in front of him for like 10 minutes and he was like can i leave it's like not until you make the phone call <laughs> it's like okay fine whatever just let me <laughs> let me out of here you guys are weird <laughs> waterboarding him with a bow yeah exactly <laughs> it's just like this is this is so humbling it's kind of creepy <laughs> but um but yeah she mentions that if should godzilla resume movement that countdown will start where it stopped. Mm. Uh, so you guys will basically get no notice like, as to when the bomb, like, like the, we're not going to reset the the timer. It will resume where we left off. Um, so I could totally see, like if you wanted to do like a, a far flung future one where Oof. it's like Tokyo is built up around this giant Godzilla statue yeah. and, then, and then he starts moving and then the nuke goes off and we have a post-apocalyptic Japan with Godzilla presumably surviving the nuke <laughs> that would be interesting that would be radically different than anything we've ever had no 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 you've got a uh, uh, japanese villain who wants to set it off and he's got a weasel working in the white house kind of keeping tabs on the situation like hey he wants to get like he's gonna like get godzilla 
he's basically going to use uh, his information with the, his Japanese partner to leverage himself into a higher position and thus nuking Japan and everybody wins kind of thing. Well, I mean, like like Kyle pointed out, you totally could do a sequel to this. Yeah. And I don't, I don't th- if you did it well, I don't think anybody would be disappointed. No, I don't think there's a lot of possibilities, but um I'm curious. I have my own opinion, but do you recall the final shot of this movie? No. Okay. Um you may want to look it up actually. Uh if you have access to it. Um because it's a kind of a stunner, but it's also a uh, puzzling. Like it's it's a very good way to end your movie, honestly, because it it uh it doesn't really tell you what it means. Like it just says, "Here's some visual information. Make of it what you will." Um, and what it is is uh, it's a close up of Godzilla. Oh movie. yes, yes. Uh, this was awesome, and I was like, "What the hell is that?" It is. You go ahead and tell. You tell the people. You tell the people. I'm watching it. <laughs> tell the people. Uh, so. This almost looks like a live prop. Like it looks mm-hmm. like a sculpture it is. that somebody somebody built, and it, it's magnificent. Like I wouldn't put this in my home, but if this was <laughs> in a museum, <laughs> I mean, not unless I was like one of those guys who's really, really, really into the Hellraiser movies. It looks like something done by somebody who's committed war crimes. Honestly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but not something I'd put in my home. But if it was in a museum. Oh, I would spend some time just looking at this so, from every angle. Yeah, so it looks like either Godzilla was going to give birth to something strange or it was sucking up the souls and they were like attaching to the body. I don't know what to make of it, but it's pretty crazy. Okay, well, basically what it is is it's a close-up shot that's just it it it's a camera movement where it's going from the tip like the bottom of the tip of the tail and it rises up to the very tip and then abruptly cuts to black and we get end credits uh and cue the godzilla march the original Mm -hmm. 1954 version by the way playing over the credits um but what this tip of the tail looks like is a a bunch of semi-humanoid uh figures like multiple bodies springing off from the tail and they look all look like they're in agony and they all have like some sort of like it almost looks like spider web material, mm-hmm. like like tearing away from the, the main meat of the tail. And yeah, their mouths are agape. They don't look like they're having fun. But they, have sp- <laughs> they, <laughs> but they have like a skeletal form and they have spines like Godzilla. Um, and they're just kind of frozen in place, uh, much like the rest of the monster. But my interpretation, and I don't... Like I said, I don't think there's an official answer to this riddle. Um, My interpretation was that I can't help but think of that poster I have in my sleeping area, (laughs) my bedroom area, uh, Japan versus Godzilla. Um, At one point, a laptop lady has a line just offhand in the middle of a storm of dialogue. Uh, uh, People are scarier than Godzilla. Um, There's a lot of lip service paid to Godzilla being the most advanced creature that's ever existed in terms of genetic advancement and whatnot um but she said that tagline is japan versus godzilla my theory is that we've seen him evolve several times in the movie we've seen him transform several times in the movie um i think this is the movie telling us that for all of his genetic power and whatnot uh his last act before basically dying not dying but freezing 
was to try to turn into something more akin to us. Interesting. And I think it, it's in the spirit of Japan where it's it's communal effort can, where we can achieve wonders, not as individuals, but as a collective. We've seen it in multiple instances just in this movie where uh, you have a country working to get together, but then you have a, com- a country sharing computer resources and sharing military resources, and they can defeat a thing that's... Uh, they, they actually pay lip service to the original Godzilla movie that's saying... Uh, the scientist who was involved with creating the radioactive material that gave birth to the creature was from Oldo Island, uh, the, I- the islands we saw early in that movie. Um, and it's, uh, it's gibberish, um, but the explanation is, as to why they call him Gojira is that in the language of Oldo Island, which apparently isn't Japanese, uh, the word means a god incarnate. Mm. So I guess, I guess the thesis of the story that I'm getting at here is that many human beings working together I can achieve wonders. Um, so I, I, I think that's what they're getting at, is that for all his greatness, he he kind of bowed down to us in his final act. <laughs> Where it's like we were able to defeat him. We were greater than him, even though we didn't think we were. Now I don't want there to be a sequel because I'm positive it's going to have, it's going to be little god like little Godzillas that are human like. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to see that. Yeah. I'm, I'm not gonna lie, Kyle. The Godzilla 1998. As soon as the little Godzilla showed yeah. up, I was de- I was deeply upset. Yeah. <laughs> that, that movie's good. It's fun for me. But yeah, the little Godzillas are pretty bad. Deeply yeah. upset. Pretty bad. <laughs> they are pretty bad. And those two, those two French Expendables. Mm-hmm. Um, the they were there for no other reason than to have a body count. Yes. <laughs> And it was a shitty body count. None of those kills were good. Yeah, it's because they had no teeth. Yeah, they didn't have any teeth, but the, the guy with the glasses... I don't care about those guys. I know, but if you see a, a big giant lizard thing in a, in a semi-transparent egg, you don't, you don't go up What's to the that? egg. Yeah, that's a real, yeah, you don't... real Billy Crudup move. I... <laughs> oh, fuck. Uh, Alien Covenant, folks. Um... <laughs> I just rewatched it. It was great. If you see a big slimy leathery sack and Michael Fassbender's real excited to show it to you, maybe don't look in it. You know, <laughs> going back, it's interesting. Um, it to us it seems weird, but Billy Crudup is treating him like a an android. So when he's just like, "I'll show you," it 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 shouldn't be alarming to him because he's just an android who does you know what he's told. Timing, Kyle. Mm. I know. This was this was this, after true. the scream. No! This was after, yeah. yeah, this was after the fast the blood curling scream. If, if, yes, if you reverse those events, yeah. maybe. Yeah, but after you after you see him do that and have a emotional gutter, guttural reaction to to guttural. you shooting, <laughs> yeah, to you shooting his alien friend. Yeah, maybe re- oh, his alien friend that you just saw uh, kill a bunch of people in some tall grass. Yeah, don't go into the tall. Don't grass. go into the tall grass. <laughs> it's not a good place to be. Uh, but yeah. Anyway, uh, this was uh, this was a fun rewatch for me. Uh, third time watching it for me. I feel like I catch a new detail every time. I, I would highly advise you to to rewatch this again at some point because um, I, I do think you'll get more out of it now that you know you know the general like broad strokes of the story and you can have fun just looking for details. Okay. Because there are so many of them. Um, but yeah. Uh, Hideaki Anno and Shinji Higuchi, uh, they both did a really fantastic job with this. Um, 
one one thing that's not Godzilla related that um, I may as well share on the air while we're all here. Uh, I was really bummed uh, to hear just today, in fact, that uh, Shin Ultraman uh, was delayed. Um, there's a Shin Ultraman movie that's uh, directed by Higuchi and uh, produced by Anno. Uh, that was that's in production. There is a trailer online. It was supposed to come out, I guess, this summer, but they uh, they recently, I think, just today, announced that it was delayed. So I'm kind of bummed mm-hmm. about that. I, I don't think it's going to be as depthful as this film, but with uh, Higuchi at the helm, I know the effects work will at least be on point. And I'm a sucker for Ultraman, especially when it's like semi-serious. So I'm I'm hyped for that, but sad to hear that's been delayed. Um, but yeah, uh, I think the last thing to do, probably not this month, unfortunately, because it comes out on the 31st. The last bit of March of the Monsters is unfortunately probably going to unfold in April. Yeah. Uh, so we will be doing a review of Godzilla vs. Kong. Again, super hyped for that. Uh, but in the meantime, if you would like to catch up on any of our other Catching Up on Cinema content, uh, you can find all of that collected on our website at catchinguponcinema.com. Uh, we also have a couple of social media accounts in the form of an Instagram at catchinguponcinema as well as a Twitter, at Catching Cinema. So feel free to hit me up at either of those, and I'll surely get back to you. Um, and the podcast is collected on pretty much every platform you can imagine, so fucking Google it. But that being said, thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you next time. Yeah.